to the NFT Meta Jungle. I am Emma, aka Nifty Meta Girl, and on today's episode, we're going to be featuring a recording from our series, Meta Jungle NFT Radio. In this episode, we're going to be talking about current events of the week of September 25th. We'll be featuring current events, questions, topics, and have a conversation between artists and collectors. These are great um, episodes to kind of learn about what's happening in the NFT space on a regular basis and make connections with others. We do hope you find this helpful. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone is doing well, getting the room set up this morning. So getting some tweets sent out to um, invite everyone to come up um, and join us. But also want to say good morning to Sabod and Mike and Swati Harini, Arwen. We have Oku, Joe, Ratnidwip, and we've got Deb in the room. So nice to see everybody. Hope your weekend has been lovely. Hi, Hind. It's great to see everybody joining this morning um and just i think everybody may know but this is emma aka nifty meta girl behind the meta jungle um logo so nice to see everybody and it's great to have sabode back from his trip have mike with us here on the co-housing panel hi sarah nice to see you this morning so we are looking forward to a great space of catching up see what's new for the week um and see what everybody has been up to this past week and what they're looking forward to this coming week so but hi Sabode how are you he might be tweeting out the room hi Mike how are you (laughs) hi how are you good morning everybody I'm doing good doing good just uh, moving over some files from my computer to hard drives so that I can actually upload new files to look at them because my the new camera that I got is 61 megapixels, so like every photo I take is like 125 megabytes. So every time I go out shooting now, I have to literally clear my hard drive so that I can put new stuff on there. It's just insane. All the challenges as technology is improving, huh? <laughs> yeah, like I. I didn't, you know, I didn't used to have to have a computer that had more than one terabyte in it because I would just use external hard drives. And now I really regret that. I wish I had a computer that had like two or three terabytes because like this is just crazy controlling all this stuff. I have to get like one of these, I don't know, RAID, R-A-I-D, like databases that like backs up everything to a cloud. I have to figure it out. Yeah, those are huge, huge files. I know it's crazy, but it's worth it in the end. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, figuring out the cloud thing. Yeah, all those technical details there. But it's amazing what is available these days as well. I know. I'm going to tweet out the room. Maybe Sabod's back. Yes, I'm back. Hi, Emma. Hi, Mike. Hi, everyone. It's nice to be back. It's just been less than 10 days and it feels like a year away from space. But I totally agree with Mike. Managing the space has been my biggest concern as well. I have like 20 hard disks right now. Each is one terabyte. And when I have to find a file running through all those hard disks and figuring out where, which is where, takes forever. I'm up to like 50 terabytes, I think now, of data from my career. Oh, scary. Yeah, man, seriously. 
Oh my God. Yeah. It's too much, man. It's just crazy. I feel you. <laughs> you said it feels like, um, forever that you've been away. I shared, um, I shared a post uh, yesterday, right, Emma? It was um, these surf uh, surf photographs that I've taken um, and minted them like 10 months ago. <laughs> it feels like it feels like it, it, uh, Omar said, oh, it feels like you minted those when I was a kid. Like it feels so long ago. Um, it's crazy because it does like I, I, I was like. I don't under, I don't know whether to say time flies or like this feels like ages ago. I think it more like it felt like so long ago, I guess, because so much happens in this space. It's just crazy to see that back then and kind of like remember even just like where I was and like who I was like trying to develop as in the space. It just feels like so long ago. And it's just crazy what 10 months can do here. It's just insane absolutely absolutely that was november of last year i guess and yeah we've all i know we've all grown so much in that amount of time but it is it is absolutely crazy um gosh because the amount of time that we spend i know changes things but really even you know i think about the time i spend is the same for a job you know a full-time job but um it just seems like a lot more happens here than, than it does in in real life but it is it is incredible but it's fun to see things see people develop and grow as well you know and that's why to these kind of weekly updates these chances to kind of chat about what's going on help so much because things are moving at such light speed that um you know being able to kind of chat and catch up on what's going on um, helps everybody kind of stay on track. So um, I'm looking forward to our space today <laughs> and seeing what's been going on. I know Sabode's been out in the real world um, for the last for the last 10 days um, and not here in Twitter too much, which is probably a, a good thing from time to time. Um, but also want to say hi to Swati and Harini and Joe as our speaker appear on the speaker panel. And also if anyone else would like to join, um, definitely hit that request button and we invite you to come up and chat with us. Um, I know this is a nice way to kind of start off the week with our Sunday space and maybe enjoying their coffee and or having their evening meal, but um, it's great to have you guys with us. But how is everybody? Good, good here. I just come off another space I was hosting. So I finished that just in time to join you guys because I knew you were starting at four, my time. So yeah, all good. I've got something quite interesting that came out of it that I could share with you guys to do with spaces hosting kind of um, benefits, should we say, um, improvements, thanks to a guy who's, you may already know him, guy who's um, designed something called Spaces, I think it's called dashboard.com. Do you guys know about him? No, no, no. Tell us. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan will... of that. Do you know him, Sibod? Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of that uh, particular application. But go ahead, please, Joseph. Yeah, he's, well, he came in and, and we managed to invite him into our space because we were trying to resolve some problems. I mean, you, you know, guys, I've been you know, trying to sort out this like efficiency of spaces kind of issue that I've identified. And anyway, so we managed to get hold of the guy who, 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 who designed this thing and he gave us a crash course in all the functionality. It's incredible what he's, he's done with it. And if you deep dive it, uh, let me find the link. I think it's important to share with everybody. Um, 
It's called I've been it up. Spaces. You got it. Thanks, mate. Spaces dashboard.com. Um, and it just has just an incredibly powerful way of like analyzing and searching, um, organizing, um, everything to do with spaces. You can imagine it's a third party thing, right? That he's done. Uh, and he's using the Twitter API. Um, and he's pushing them as well for all like, you know, new things that, that they could do to improve it. Um, what have you, what have you pinned up there? Um, Subod? Uh, so no, it's, uh, oh yeah, your stats. Yeah, yeah, so you can get your stats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can it has a stats. link at the bottom. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, to be honest, I still haven't had a chance to look at it because I just literally came off the space talking with him, and I was doing it on my phone, so I didn't have a chance to really explore the site. But I urge you all to go and have a look at it and connect with him as well. His name's Andrew, um, and he said his DMs are open, and it's a game changer. I really do think it's a game changer. For, for everybody in the space. I mean, the potential is limitless, like for reach, for organization, for uh, scheduling, uh, stats, you name it. You name it. It's incredible what he's done. I mean, he's going to, if he plays his cards right, he's going to make a fortune out of this because somebody's going to want to buy him out at some point. <laughs> yeah, I have to take a deep dive and look into this. I just pinned up uh, MetaJungle's dashboard. So if you want to check it out, it, sh it shares everything, you know, A to Z. Uh, like every single space hosted, who are the co-hosts, how many speakers came up, whatever the pin post, even pin post is recorded. You know, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. So what's on the Jumbotron, which, you know, everyone's been using like the, the bubble on the right, bottom right, to deal with the fact that recorded spaces, you can't um, see what's in the Jumbotron if you're reviewing it afterwards. Well, he, he captures that data, right? So you can now, you can access all that information um, through that website. It's, it's incredible. This is incredible. I, you posted that a long time ago too, Sabod. Just things have been yeah. around for a while. <laughs> well, I recorded, me back I recorded in June. the space we just did. So, and he, he talked through it all. So I'll actually, you guys carry on talking while I find the link to the space, which I've just recorded. So you guys can watch it, listen to it at your own leisure. He covered everything because we, we went in with all these questions like, oh, we've got this problem. We've got that problem. And, you know, this you can't do this in Twitter spaces and the caterpillar is useless. And, the you know, if you go to the spaces button, it's useless. And, <laughs> and we've got all these other problems that we're trying to solve. And he just he just solved basically all of them. The only thing that was missing was something to do with like having a scheduling calendar. But he said he's working on it and that's coming potentially soon. So he's also but open to ideas. If you guys have a problem you've identified check in with him and he'll put it on his to-do list and he could probably fix it for you. But let me do a self-pat, you know, let's, let me give myself an award because I was checking MetaJungle's uh, dashboard. I am the one who has spoken the most in MetaJungle, 48 spaces. <laughs> Second is Swati uh, with 41. Third is Sarah with 37. And when it comes to highest co-host, Sarah takes the award, highest co-host. Well, so that was the interesting thing about... Um giving co-hosts more credit as well, right? So you could use this kind of thing to help you with like, um, like you just your own personal brand as well, right? So you could refer to the data that's being captured in this thing as whether you're a host, a co-host, or even a speaker, right? So if you're a valuable speaker, all this data um, that's captured is like so useful. So both you go for your next trip and I'll catch up. 
Just seven more. Just seven more, Swati. Oh, God. You're almost there. Yeah. Very good morning. And congratulations to Mike. He's a celebrity right now because he got the Community Artist Award from Times. I was actually in this in that space when they announced his name. I'm like, oh, it's our Mike. But Mike wasn't there. So, um, yeah, I was I was very happy to hear his name. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that 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 space was happening. I figured like if I was a nominee that they would have DM'd me, but I didn't I didn't know. I slept through it cuz like I've been wor- <laughs> I've been I've been I I would I've been shooting until like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and then getting home and then I'm like addicted to not just photography but editing and then I'll edit until like 5 o'clock in the morning and then I'll sleep and I have to kind of switch things <laughs> switch things around as the sun starts to um, set earlier with winter I'm going to do a thing where I wake up go to the gym um, you know do like my uh, like my um, you know Twitter and spaces and this and that and then like shoot and then come back earlier <laughs> but yeah thank you I appreciate that I am celebrating by officially going to Turkey I um um, we have bought the um, the tickets, so I will be in Turkey, um, Istanbul on November second, and then I will be in Anatolia on November ninth, and I will be in Anatolia until November sixteenth. So November second through November sixteenth, I will t- have two weeks to meet um, all of my Turkish friends. Uh, and that will be really cool. And then my next trip after that will have to be to India. Wow. Go go with somebody or connect with uh, somebody in India so that, uh, you know, you know somebody local. You'll have more fun that way. And I just also want to quickly say hi to Emma because I never did. And all our friends, Sarah, Joseph, Harini, Harwin, Hind. Oh, my God. So many. Kristen. A parallax, Pelin, Vic, Michael. Okay, I'll stop. Deb <laughs> and everyone else. <laughs> They'll kick me out if I call everyone's name out. But I think I know most of the people in the room. Good morning, Swati. It's nice to have you with us. And thank you for that reminder, too, um, about the Time Award. That's a really that's a really cool award. And I understand that, you know, it was something that I, you mentioning, Mike, that you slept through it. Um, that was really just they they did it completely behind the scenes, um, you know, without without people really nominating or, um, you know, being super involved in, you know, wanting to receive the award. So that that's really, really cool. And I can see how to for communities um, stats like this with the Twitter spaces and is another way that you can help with knowing who's really active in your community. Um, that's something that, you know, with Discord, you can monitor, you know, there's bots um, and the M6 bot, bot and stuff that you always see, you know, how people are interacting and how much activity is there. But Twitter is yet another thing. So for communities that are working at, you know, rewarding their, you know, their folks are, are also wanting to kind of keep up with who's super active with their communities and contributing it's another great resource for that so um, it's amazing to see what people are building in the space but and we do appreciate our community so much and everybody that participates regularly to make it a warm and welcoming and educational opportunity for everybody so really really cool (laughs) i think um i think it was um 
more of um, an overall community thing than, um, you know, attributing to like being in the time uh, discord because I'm not necessarily uh, there every day and such. So I think it's more of like, you know, because you know, I, I am there and I, you know, I, I know Keith and, and Maya and they've had invited me to some events and stuff like that. And I was involved a bit with uh, with time and, you know, I, I do love time pieces and stuff like that I have collected. But I think as overall, I spoke with Maya and stuff just like um, overall, like what they've seen throughout the entire year, um, just as an artist, but also building um, within the general Web3 space. Which is so important too, you know, and it's it's awesome that they recognize that and look at the contribution overall. Um, so it's you know, and it's it's great just to be to have that little vote of confidence to say good job. We see you know, see you building and see you helping. And um, time is such is a very um, positive force in the space for sure. So a great com a great community to be involved in, and just a great recognition. So. Yeah, definitely giving you kudos this morning. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, more than anything, like the recognition is really nice because just it provides just encouragement, like to look back and say, like, you know, I did like hold all these educational spaces and help, you know, some artists to sell their work through curation and stuff like that. And, you know, Meta Jungle has been a huge force behind me being able to have an educational platform and stuff and then just kind of to see in real time like someone or you know an, an organization recognizing it outside of you know meta jungle too like um it's it's just yeah it just makes you want to even do more i think some people op people operate in two different ways right like some people um you know they might they might be fueled and inspired from you know, not receiving recognition or something like that. And then they want to do more and do harder or um, others who are, you know, positively reinforced uh, for what they do want, you know, could want to continue to, to, to work hard at, at doing something that they're passionate about. And I think I fall into this, the, this, the second. So it's really, uh, it's really nice. And just thank you guys. I appreciate, um, appreciate everything. And, you know, there's, uh, there's people in here and, um, on this panel right now of speakers and listeners that, you know, that, you know, that have done, you know, you know, as much as or more than I have in this community that I'm that I'm looking at right now that I that I respect There's it's it takes a, a whole community of all of us to build what we are building right now. So, um, yeah, I don't want it to be focused around, you know, what I've what I've built. I'm just, you know, I'm just one person who can, um, you know, use the skills that I have to to lend to the community. But there's a there's a host of people um, all operating behind the scenes and um, and and building this space. So I just love to be here with those type of like minded people, and it's amazing. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. <laughs> and it is absolutely great that um, people are here and contributing and, and helping to build and help others. So, um, and it's, yeah, that encouragement is definitely something that is, is great to receive, um, to be able to, you know, it's nice to hear, you know, when people do appreciate, but it's also good to keep motivated and keep moving forward. So, yeah, um, definitely an exciting um an exciting turn of events there. So, and yeah, we'll just keep things moving and growing as well. 
Um, and I know one thing um, that that we did that we brought up in the Meta Jungle community this week that we had an opportunity to kind of pair with another group um, or at least help get um, word out is and many of you um, may have also registered for this, but um, Block Packs is a community that is active in the NFT space and they do a lot of collectibles and trading, um, but they have a project that um, if you have registered for their allow list. They're going to be um, announcing those winners tomorrow, but they, um, I know several of you may already know about this, but um, the community, they actually managed to mint the last 10,000 tokens on the proof of work um, blockchain. So um, POW, they have the last 10,000 tokens um, before the merge happened, which is a pretty amazing feat. Um, and so they have, they're actually releasing those as an NFT project, and then they also managed to mint the first on proof of stake. So they have both the last on proof of work and first of proof of stake. And I know they have some really exciting plans with proof of stake that is going to hopefully also include um, a little bit more of our artist community. Um, so there'll be some really exciting things coming up with that. But um, that has been a fun thing this week. We actually hosted Frenchie and they um, provided the opportunity for um, members of the Meta Jungle community to be able to um, be listed, um, be included on their pre-mint and their raffle for the free tokens um, because the last ones for proof of work are going to be done in a free claim. Um, but if anyone is not familiar with that and interested, I did pin that up to the top. Um, the snapshot was done yesterday, I believe, um, but we'll be finding out tomorrow um, if we are ones then which got selected for the free raffle and then on Tuesday is when the minting is actually happening but pretty cool to be able to capture it was um, the video I pinned um, a tweet there to the top that has a video of Frenchie who's the founder of Block Packs and um, it's pretty cool to listen to what they actually were able to accomplish with that process um, because um, there was lots of people trying to be the, the ones to capture the last of the proof of work um, tokens and be in that last block, but they actually did accomplish it. So history in the making for sure. Um, I think several of our speakers did go ahead and were able to get registered. Is that right? I definitely registered for sure. Um, so how did block packs get that, um, get that last spot? Did they, this is something like where they have to, like kind of know Vitalik or Joe Lubin or someone within Ethereum and consensus to be able to do that? Or is it just kind of like um, jump in and be the ones to get it before anyone else? Like how, how does that process work? Do you know? Well, um, Frenchie came and did a space for us in Meta Jungle Discord on Thursday morning. Yeah, Thursday morning. And he talked a little bit more about it. And they actually, um, members of his team, they actually, they, they wrote a contract and um, included the details of when it should deploy based on what block they were in. Um, and they, you know, they had done the analysis ahead of time. And Basically, it was, you know, down to the last little bit of as to whether they were going to, you know, it was kind of a chance, like they wrote the code, um, they wrote the contract, the smart contract, and when it was supposed to deploy and everything, you know, was up 
to up to par, up to what up to snuff, but they it, they got a little um, disheartened close to the moment because it was being announced that the um, merge had actually happened and everything had you know already processed and their um, all of their notifications and their con- their contract hadn't deployed yet and all their notifications were showing that the merge actually hadn't happened um, and so they were getting really really um, anxious, but it turns out that those um, claims were not correct. Um, there was a group that was claiming that they were the first to mint on proof of stake. However, some other um, some folks in that are more knowledgeable about blockchain um, um, kind of historians actually stepped in and helped debunk the fact that others didn't actually mint the first on proof of stake. That that was a false claim, and that and that block packs actually were the ones who um, got to they actually their their smart contracts deployed and they accomplished both being the last on proof of work and the first. On proof of stake. Um, so of course with the blockchain and um, smart contracts, it's all right there. So you, you know, you just have to take the time to research and, and figure it out. But yeah, they they wrote contracts that um, were the ended up being the winners, <laughs> being the best ones out there to accomplish the task, which is pretty amazing. Wow. So then um, you know, at the lucky chance that, you know, um, some of us get some of these, I mean they're um, pretty historical pieces. It's crazy, right? I mean, Ethereum's the juggernaut platform right next to uh, Bitcoin, and um, that's yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I wonder, you know, I'm I'm gonna go back and, and listen. I know the space wasn't very long with um with block packs, but um, how do they come? Is it in a form of a you know, when you when you say token, does that token have an image behind it? Is it an NFT? Um, is it, is it called a relic? What is that information there? If you, if we do gain one, what is that? Um, what does that look like? Just a code in our wallet or? Um, from what he shared with us, um, it will, what we'll actually get the day of is a claim ticket, like a actual NFT that will serve as a claim for the token. And they are going to let the community decide, um, they're going to make it into more of a tradable type, um, NFT. So, um, that's what a lot of block packs does. They are very, um, they're very involved with taking physical items and helping to tokenize them. Um, to make them tradable. Um, and so they do a lot in the sports memorabilia realm. Um, they recently t- actually um, did a derivative of um, of CryptoPunks. And so they created trading cards based on um, CryptoPunks that they hold. And um, it's a little bit um, similar, I would say, to how Timepieces has done, where um, they may have um, an NFT, but there's different rarities based on different qualities, you know, associated with it, whether it be a different color border, um, a different um, image. And so they definitely have the rarity built in, and they incentivize the community to build out um, kind of sets of collectibles. So a lot of the influence of the traditional card collecting world, um, 
paired with NFTs and paired with that collectability um, and incentivize um, their community for, for participating and also um, creating sets of collectibles. And yeah, they have a whole structure, um, but they've, they've actually been in this space building for probably just over a year. I think they got started mid-summer last year with their first projects um, and have created an, an amazing amount of um, collectability and community. You don't hear about them quite as much because I know they're always building within their own community, um, but they also have branched out and are doing some collectibles that are more based with um, art and also um like music related and and kind of pairing what you would collect as a physical collectible um, with NFTs and really um, highlighting that digital ownership confirmation um, with an NFT. So it's it's pretty amazing what they what they're doing to create um, different opportunities and excited for what's coming um, in the future too. But as far as the artwork on the token, um, Frenchie said that that was something that they would be um, allowing the community to help. Contribute to so they they are very community oriented and they have a lot happening in their Discord, but that they would be opening up a channel specifically for this project in their Discord, and so the holders will get to um, have options of voting on what the um, artwork will look like and kind of be involved in that process. So that was wow. a really long, really long answer for that. I'm sorry, really well, long no, answer to fine. that question. <laughs> well, that's that's really smart to have art artwork on it too. You know because. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if, if artwork, the artwork for it chosen correctly by like, you know, an artist that um, that can create something that has to do with the historical value of it, but create into an, an artistic piece could maybe even raise the, the value of what it's worth because now it's an art piece as well. It's really cool. Yeah, I know with some of what they've been working on, like over the fall, um, even with sports memorabilia, they do, they'll take a, they'll take a collectible card, you know, that's valued at thousands of dollars and um, they'll create tokens that represent fractions of that card and um, have a process of going through, um, you know, raffling off those those nfts they call them raz but chances of winning the card or holding um nfts that have a higher percentage of ownership um but they with all of those tokens they actually um have paired artwork with the uh tokens um to help introduce some artists into the space um i'm not exactly sure what the process is but instead of actually having the um image of the card like if it's a kobe bryant card for instance instead of having each of the tokens actually have that artwork on it they will actually have a representation an artistic representation um, representing the token um, so have pulled art in in an interesting way um, with the, the collectability as well it, it's crazy how many different teams are like doing different things to build and shape this whole web3 space that we sort of exist in and it's even cooler to hear that a lot of them use this concept of NFT non-fungible token to prove ownership of things, which makes me feel that it's not a meme and it's not a scam <laughs> NFTs that uh, the outside um, world thinks that it is. It's interesting, Michelle Vaughn, She's a, um, a female photographer in the space, an amazing one. She, I just saw her Instagram 
um, from last night and she was like taking polls on her Instagram. Like, you know, and one of the questions was like, do you believe NFTs is a scam? And it was like 56% yes or more than that. Um, And I was just like, wow. Like, and and she DM'd me and now I messaged her and I said, I said, wow, the overwhelming number of yes on this question. And then, and then she responded back like, Mike, you have no idea how many people are DMing me saying that this is a scam. And I'm like, I, I, you know, you know, and I, I, they're not, you know, they're not living in this, this world that, that we are right. Like we, we dedicate a lot of our time to this space and an understanding like the importance of what that is. And I think that people just hear this word NFT and, you know, people tell them that it means non-fungible token. And then then I don't think they really know what that actually means. And I think it's just as easy as, you know, digital ownership, right? And so I try to explain to people like, well, you know, they have the whole right-click-save argument, like with photography. And I try to explain like, well, you know, it it really is just digital ownership in the sense that like I have a camera, right? Uh, I, I take a photograph and the, the metadata and the EXIF data from that photograph, which has, you know, my copyright information in it, because you could set that up on your camera. It says, you know, Michael, uh, Michael Anthony Schmidt, etc. It has the date that I took it, the time that I took it, the location, you know, the pro- probably the latitude, longitude location in which I took it, um, the camera gear that I use. So that is... I basically tell people, you know, then that is, um, I, I mint that to the blockchain. And then I try to explain the blockchain to people as like the Apple iCloud in a sense. I know it's a lot more complex than that, but I try to speak to people who don't understand about it as, as simple as possible and say that like, okay, so now, now, you know, my photograph is minted and it's like in the cloud and it's verifiable through a mathematical algorithm Right. And I still have their attention at this point. Right. And in that, you know, um, I tell the algorithm that I want there to only be one in the world uh, as a one of one. Uh, And then so um, everybody can see this open source information. And so a collector, uh, it could be compelled to uh, buy a piece of artwork because that's minted and verifiable by this cloud sort of thing so that's like my easy way of uh, trying to explain to people and I explained to some people like that and they're like oh wow I had no idea what it was but I kind of have a good idea now so it's like if we could all have like this little pitch and way to explain to I don't know if you want to call it normies or just people outside of the space like what it what it actually is um, then it can probably just help a lot of people either like stop hating on it or on board, you know, or both. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah, I think, you know, when, when I was at Christie's art plus tech, somebody mentioned, um, to one of the panelists, they said, well, when do you think NFTs are going to be, you know, like mainstream? And then the answer was, uh, I don't remember who said it, but he said, um, um, when we're no longer calling them NFTs. And I think that that was a really great answer. And that just means that we're talking about the buying and purchasing of goods, whether or not that be um, uh, artwork or um, real estate or uh, ticketing, tickets for uh, concerts and events or plane tickets. I think it could leak over into um, to all of all of this. So, yeah. I think um, I, I believe NFTs are not a scam.
Completely agree. Completely agree. And yeah, Joseph, you're welcome to go ahead. Well, I just uh, have a question, a simple question. Why do we still use the word minting to describe what we do with putting work on the blockchain? Do you think that we should be perhaps changing that and finding a new, more easily understood word for people who aren't in the NFT space? I'm trying to come up with that word, but I don't I don't know that there is an easier word to say mint. Um, yeah, so permanent uh, something about permanently permanently placing it into the into the blockchain. I don't know if you have an idea. <laughs> Well, I just think, you know, from a branding point of view, like, you know, everybody wants an easily identifiable, you know, word to describe something that is universally understood. Minting is only universally understood within the NFT space, not in the wider kind of culture and public, right? I don't think that's yet been absorbed into popular, you know, language. So that in itself, as simple as it, as it may seem, um, or, as, or as innocuous as it may seem, that could in itself be hampering widespread adoption. What do you think? Do we need to find another yeah, word? I think you're right. I think we do need to find a word. You know, I could say putting it on the blockchain, right? But then that that then then it goes through their head is like, well, what does that entail? What does that mean, putting it? I think a, a word that um, has to do with, um, you know, not the word immutability, but the, uh, something that ha a, a simple word that means that it's permanent, uh, that it's permanently there and cannot be changed. Right. So you have to look into that. I think I think personally, as we're moving forward, there's going to, you know, when we're we're bringing in ushering in something new, there's always going to be, um, you know, an educational um onboarding, you know, so figuring out what our vocabulary is and making it easy to understand um, is going to be part of, I think, moving forward. So, um, you know, as we're identifying that and, you know, talking about listing something, you know, available for purchase or um, the, the vocabulary, I think part of that is going to be when we look back, you know, for us, even for instance, we look back and after you're here for a week, you are, you've identified what terms mean. And so, so you then move forward with actually using that lingo. If we think about what how our vocabulary has changed as we've come into the space, um, it's kind of amazing. And I think too that'll just become more and more common and more widely accepted and 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 used. Um, we've seen that with all kinds of different technology coming on board. Um, I mean, even if we think about the word chat, you know, that was something that as WebTube came on board. Um, and became so much more popular, our understanding prior to, um, it, to really chatting, um, you know, as two people having a conversation, we also know that that has a totally different connotation when we talk about chat online. Um, so we'll, I think we will continue to see words develop and, and people just more widely adopting them as well. Um, but I think it is good to be aware of what those words are as we're bringing people on board um, and helping them understand and helping have that of information readily available and not assuming that new people coming into the space always know um, 
exactly what we're talking about. Um, and I think, you know, as stewards of, of bringing people into this space, being aware and putting ourselves um, in their shoes and identifying those things that we didn't know when we were coming in does help them on board and helps them feel more comfortable in the space. Um, so, you know, keeping that in mind and not just rolling over those points for them um, is something that will help us be more effective in making them feel comfortable with coming on, um, coming on board. But um, I think it will be interesting to see, you know, how the space develops and, you know, what terms, what words we're using in a year for these different aspects. And I think, too, as platforms and systems continue to build out, um, that's going to help um, shape what it is that we actually, the words that we're actually using. So if, you know, for instance, we're the process of, you know, minting is, is even a little, um, a little tricky depending on what platform we're using, because obviously we start talking about, you know, our lazy minting on OpenSea and, and the confusion that comes from the fact that, you know, unpurchased work is not actually minted on the blockchain yet. We still call it minting. However, it's not actually minted on the blockchain when we list it on OpenSea. Um, and it's not until it's purchased, um, opposed to some other platforms like Foundation or like Silica where it is available there. So um, I think it will, as we as we have systems come on board, that vocabulary may evolve and change as we move forward. So I think at this point, just being aware of those details and helping people understand what they are. But it's an interesting conversation and an interesting um, point of view to keep in mind for sure. We could say, um, we could say, um, that we permanently upload it and that's something that we call minting um so you can give that idea because people understand uploading right when it comes to like a cloud because i think a lot of people understand like how their iphone works in a sense that it goes to a cloud actually i don't think a lot of people really understand completely i i, I worked in apple um for about three years and i remember Everyone on my team, even when I when I started and I was in training and I was trying to explain how iCloud actually worked and iCloud backed up and then all these different options for iCloud that um, th most of the employees did not fully understand how that worked. But I think to some degree, um, most people understand that like there's a database, like it's not necessarily in the sky, but there's that they have databases, Apple, somewhere that holds all this information. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, another thing that, you know, I, I, I try to, you know, talk to people about, about like, why do people like to collect this stuff on the computer, like digitally, and it's not tangible. And I try to explain that, you know, well, a lot of collectors, right, they like to show off their collections. Like if you ever go to someone's house and they show you their, you know, their baseball cards or their, um, you know, their, uh, their comic books or something from, from back in the day. Um, but how many people do they really get to show that off to, you know, maybe once in a while, if there's like a little fa like family party or friends over the house, but digitally, um, you know, we could set up virtual museums on, on cyber right now and whatever else is going to come out in the future and um, and share the artwork that we've collected. And not only did we collect something that is um, that, you know, is just for us. Right. Like because that's kind of like what it's like with comic books and baseball cards and Pokemon and stuff like that. But it's um, well, you know, th there's artists behind that, too. 
there's individual artists behind the stuff that we're collecting too. And then now we can show off our collection, you know, like we could show off our collection, what we have collected. And not only is that showing off kind of like what we're interested in, who we are as a person and what we love to collect, but it, it's also showcasing individual artists internationally. It's uh, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing way to, to share um, things you've collected. And I think people love to share what they've collected. And I don't think there's any better way to do that than the internet right now. And the word collect as well. I've been thinking, I know we had this conversation months ago about is the term collector still the right word or an appropriate word to describe people who collect <laughs> artwork? Um, has the word custodian ever been suggested? I don't know, but I think I think I like I think I like the idea of collector because for, in the traditional world um, there's collectors, right? But you know I think there's two different types of people who collect here, and then there's a hybrid, right? There's uh, collectors who you know buy pieces of work that they want to hold on to for a really long time, and I think there's even people that you know they they want to hold on to work forever because you know maybe there's um, uh, something that resonates from an art piece that reminds them of their, you know, their childhood or maybe a parent that passed or or something to that extent where, you know, there, there are people that are um, very um, not um, what is it have, have sentimental feeling behind things. Right. Um, and then I think there is um, there is uh, collectors that um, are a hybrid where well. Well, let's talk about the other kind before the hybrid in, investors, right? Or people invest in things or invest in, in, in art or invest in people. Uh, and, and they believe that their value will go up over time. Um, and then that they'll be able to sell that over time and, um, and raise uh, some of their own capital to maybe invest again. Uh, and then I think there's a hybrid of, of, of people who um, collect and invest. I, I would probably consider myself to be sort of a, a hybrid where um, I collect work that resonates and, and means something to me, but I'm also sort of um, investing in a person that I think is going to be here, um, that is here, you know, building and doing the right thing and, and, and is here for the right reasons and has more of a, a Web3 uh, mentality rather than, than a Web2 mentality and, you know, kind of believes in the vision of, of the future. And so that's kind of how I collect. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Custodian. I don't know. Cause then that's, that's, an, that's another um, hard one for people to, to grasp and, and understand. But I, I like, I like collector. Good morning, everybody. I wanted to, to like say something before the conversation goes in a different direction. And most times I always have something to say, and then I just feel like I'm interrupting people. So I just wait. And then what happens is, is that the conversations do shift course. And then I'm like, oh man. So I don't, my opinions are this. I don't think that the verbiage or the terminology that we use is that complicated because guess what? Once upon a time, we didn't know what it meant. Now we all know what it means. So they'd be able to learn exactly what it is as well. I think it's how they're getting the information. So since we're online, good news is typically not the best way to get people to click onto websites, read articles, to get ad revenue on websites, even through YouTube as well. So all of the press that NFTs at the moment seems to get always is 
tends to be controversial, right? Oh, there was this NFT that was sold for this ridiculous amount of money. So everybody's like, ah, this is a scam. This is just for laundering money. Then you have articles that are like, recently there was some kind of um, exploit on one of these platforms where people saw NFTs and people stole a bunch of NFTs. You see, those are the type of things that actually sell, that actually get people to click on articles. So whenever people go to get information now about NFTs, they're gonna come across that first rather than information from like, you know, Meta Jungle's YouTube channel or or maybe Sarah's YouTube channel. They're going to come across all of the controversial stuff first. And that's where I think people just get their information. That's kind of like touching base on what you had mentioned before about that person's Instagram and how people 51% thought that it was um, a scam. So it's kind of like, because that's what they're getting fed. I think that once people understand how this works, which is uberly easy because you mentioned comic books right it really is just that you know in a comic book there's an editor there's a writer and there's an artist once they create all of the art oh and there's an inker and there's a colorist once they create all of the artwork all of the content then it's sent to a press aka sent to the blockchain then it's minted on there then it's printed and then it's distributed into stores uh, to actual physical stores just how it is to foundation open sea and then people can collect it purchase it they can either keep it because something interesting happened in that particular comet that comic book so later on it becomes more valuable or there's less copies of it it's like that's the best way to explain people i've always found that's how i explained it to my brother he's a miami dade police department sergeant so he's just only thinks about like all of that stuff so this was really foreign to him he was really dense to it and i was like it's just like comics and then i just went duh, 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 duh. and he was like oh i get it and i'm like yeah and by the way it's not a scam brother and he was like oh okay yeah because i see a lot of stuff on the news where people are always talking about this and that and i'm like yeah it's the internet people are always going to mention what's exciting because you know that's what creates conversation yeah i agree and a lot of people they they you know they read headlines right and they don't necessarily go in and, and, you know, read the entire article, right? I mean, you notice that a lot about the news is like there's this like jarring headline. And then you go in and you're like, oh, wow, my, my, my perception of what that headline was about is completely different now that I read the entire article. So it's sort of a way to pull people in, right? Um, you know, I feel like we're living at a time where, you know, a lot of people um, are, you know, just pull from these uh these these things that provide quick uh quick dopamine releases right like likes on instagram or or reels like um short reels like 30 second reels where they can laugh about something you know i look at some of these reels too i get caught up in it by accident sometimes in a rabbit hole and it's, they're fun and they're funny and stuff like that but at the end of the day i'm thinking like you know i, I just wasted a bunch of my time really i mean maybe it was fun but i didn't really I didn't really take on any, any knowledge or anything like that. And so um, to ask some people to even, you know, listen to a five minute YouTube video, because like I, I have some friends where like, um, you know, I, I listen to uh, different people on YouTube, but outside of NFT completely like, um, you know, philosophers or, um, you know, stuff that has to do with meditative, meditative practice or just, just any, uh, anything that I, I I think of some of my friends in my head and I think wow this would this just like little conversation that's five minutes would really help them and I'll I'll go ahead and I'll send it to them I'll say hey this this is for you like I think this is this is really good and you know they'll, they'll, a lot of times they'll never get around to uh, to listening to it and I've actually had had somebody say to me like 
oh, if you could if you could find one minute clips to send me, that would be much easier than like five minutes. And I'm listening to some that are three hours. And so I just think that we live at a time where like people are fed fast information. They want the information that they move on to new information. And so I think that's why, you know, 56% of the people thought that it was, you know, a scam is because like they read a headline, they see that a board ape sold for a million dollars. And then, you know, they're upset that, that they didn't buy this ape, you know, uh, and they don't understand that, that, you know, a board ape is, not just a um, you know a picture of a, a a cartoon drawing of an ape, but it's actually a, a ticket into an, an ecosystem um, that's built by a, a very large team where um, it has benefits that comes along with owning that, and airdrops that come along with owning that, and access that comes along with owning that. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with that that we that we live in a, a time where. Um, you know, people don't really want to sit and read long articles and listen to long content and go back and listen to a three-hour AMA, even though that might answer all of the questions that they had for the entire week, you know. And so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah, I'm a victim of that, too. Like, if I click on an article and there's two paragraphs, I'm already kind of annoyed. And then, like, if I start watching a YouTube video and the person's kind of, like, lingering with their verbiage because they're trying to hit the 10 minute mark, I already get annoyed too. And it's because they're training us, you know, like it, it, we're, we're being, we're like, um, we're like on a, on a treadmill or something. We're being trained because of the way that we're fed this information. Everything is quick. Look at Twitter, 160 characters. Look at TikTok. There's like a very like limited amount of seconds or something like that. Speaking of that, what do you guys think about TikTok as a way to just kind of like have an alternative way of marketing to people what you're doing in NFTs aside from just relying only on Twitter and just a little bit on on YouTube because I went into TikTok recently and and you know it killed like 20 minutes of my time because it is really really entertaining you just see all kinds of stuff and since everybody has high definition cameras nowadays you get really really clear pictures of just the most like furthest regions and corners of the world. And it's really, really interesting. So what do you guys think about using that as a way for being able to get people to come over to your foundation, your OpenSea, your Sloika and, and whatnot? I, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question because last night when I was out shooting, um, this girl came up to me and she wanted to take a look at my work and stuff like that. And she said, well, what platforms are you on? And I was like, oh, you know, mostly Twitter right now. And instagram kind of and then she's like you need to be on tiktok you need to be on tiktok and it, it, it this tiktok just keeps reinforcing itself into my my brain every time i hear a gary uh, vaynerchuk video and he's like you fuckers need to be on tiktok you don't understand what tiktok like tiktok everything's tiktok and so it's like and i was talking with her and i was like yeah you know i i, I heard that they have like a different algorithm where um you know, it, it goes like the algorithm pushes the stuff to people that are really interested in what you're putting out. And she's like, yeah, you should do something about your with your street photography, because like you can you can do like little video clips of you out at a location, um, you know, because she saw me. I was sitting at a, a outside of this 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 bar. It's like it's just it was said neon with bar. And I was like standing there for like. 40 minutes just watching and waiting what was happening in front of there. It's like, oh, you can do like a little clip of like where you find the scene and then the shot that you get. And then 
like that could bring a ton of stuff over. And I was thinking to myself, oh, maybe I can do that. Or I could even do um, snippets of like, um, you know, like, um, and like, um, how to be how to be successful in NFT, like a tip of the day, or like, what are NFTs or stuff, something like that, and then explaining it in like, layman's terms. So I do think that there's this um, this untapped market for a lot of us on TikTok that can really help. And I think maybe Sarah could speak to that. I don't know if Sarah is on TikTok, but I know she's the social media savvy one. I would just say, I think you answered your own question quickly um, because you said you, were, you went down the rabbit hole. You basically spent 30 minutes and you found it very entertaining. If that was your experience, then yes, I just uh, agree with what Mike said. I think... Um, uh, TikTok has got huge potential. Um, I think um, you could definitely use it to drive um, yeah, traffic towards your stuff here on Twitter. Sarah? Hi. Well, while you were talking, I was actually typing out a big long message. Can you, and then I heard something, Sarah, social media, TikTok. Can you ask the okay. question again? Sure, sure. So Parallax was bringing up the idea of TikTok um, and then actually, you know, that was interesting because last night when I was out shooting, um, this girl came up to me and said that I should have a TikTok because she saw me shooting street photography and she liked the work. And she's like, you could have a TikTok where um, you show people the location that you're you're at and then the picture that you get and explain the process. And then I was thinking to myself, like, oh, also I could, in layman's terms, explain to people like um, what, NFT, what NFTs actually are in an easy way. And so basically I'm... Um, Parallax was just talking about, um, you know, how TikTok is this this market, which I also believe is like um, sort of untapped in a sense. And I always hear Gary Vaynerchuk drilling this into people. And then this girl told me it last night. And now now TikTok is in my head. And it's like, I believe in signs, right, from the universe. And so it's like, hmm. Um, and then, you know, now Parallax brings it up today. So I was passing off to you because I know you're like social media kind of guru, right? And would love to hear what you thought about that. And if, are you even on TikTok? Well, I actually love this conversation because I think there's a lot to this. So I'm actually not on TikTok, surprisingly. For me, Reels and Instagram is enough for me. And I also have YouTube. So there's that to consider as well. I simply just would not have enough time in the day to take on another platform. And I don't think that I need to. However, I do just want to say this, with all of these platforms, as much as we hate them, as much as we hate Instagram and TikTok. And by the way, Instagram has made an announcement that where they have admitted that they have gone a bit too far into the video world and because the user the creator satisfaction level is at an all-time low in this last year i don't know if that means any changes are going to be coming about but the man that always speaks for them has recognized how deep they have gone in and that they've kind of just shoved photography to the side so hopefully we'll see some changes however the world like photography and videography has always dominated social media platforms always 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 and it's us who's consuming it and look at how much it's exploded already right now that this is definitely a look into what our future is so absolutely i think there's a huge opportunity for people right now in nfts to be using these other platforms to start explaining what it is 
because then you will be trusted early on and you will be able to build something about it uh, around it. So I definitely think there's an opportunity to do that. I I do talk about NFTs on my um, YouTube channel and there is interest in it. I thought about once making a completely separate YouTube channel about NFTs, but then I was like, no way, I already do way too much. So yes, I think that would be a great idea, Mike. You could definitely start teaching people about it. I recently suggested this to another photographer, right? And immediately he was just kind of like, oh, well, that sounds kind of like, you know, I don't really know how to edit video. And and that just sounds like it, it was just like he was just very, very turned off because from the idea because he assumed that it was going to take a lot of work. And actually, I don't think it does. Like Sabode literally through his Twitter account those all those videos he puts of like for example the lioness and a beanbag and things of that nature those are just tiktok videos waiting to happen like they really are it's just that and then like what you were explaining michael uh mike it's it's just that too it could be as simple as hey guys here i'm outside of this uh bar and such and such and such and such and the camera that i use is this one and sometimes i like to wait for something interesting to happen that's it that's the tiktok video and like um and like Joseph had mentioned, it took me down a rabbit hole for like 20 to 30 minutes because, and what's interesting is that a lot of the things that I was watching were things that I wasn't even really interested in. It's the fact that it's fed to you so quickly in small little increments of, of these videos that you're just kind of like, yeah, I'll watch it. It's only 10 seconds. What's this guy doing with this, you know, this, this Coca-Cola bottle? What's going to happen here? Or what's this person doing that's trekking down this, the side of this cliff? And you just kind of just kind of just chill and wait to see what happens so it's i think it's almost like an emergency at this point to tap into that market because it's gargantuan and um but there is a lot of like controversy behind it being owned by china and and all these other things so i mean and i'm not well versed on that i don't know what that's all about but yeah there are some things to consider there in terms of our data being used or whatnot but um i mean if you just keep it about your photography and you don't put in any pertinent information i think you're just fine but i really do think it's like an emergency especially for you guys like what you do already is visually entertaining nonetheless the process into actually achieving your end result which is a photograph that's entertaining you know so definitely give it a uh a consideration there I just, I do want, I just quickly wanted to add that it's not even about like which platform, just look at how um, it's, it's actually short form video. So vertically how, cause we're always on our phones. That is what is catching on. And that is what's kind of the face of the future. So you can make any short form video on your phone. You would definitely be using like a third party app, like CapCut or something to make that. And then you can post that same video to all the platforms. So it doesn't have to be just TikTok. You can post it on TikTok, on your Instagram. And if you have YouTube, there's now YouTube shorts. I think it is just be aware that the future and where we are headed, again, is short form video viewed on a phone. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sarah. And I also appreciate um, Paralyx mentioning like how you can not thinking about it as being like taking on like maybe a whole nother thing. Um, Cause obviously there is part of managing it, but that's something that I always appreciate with Sarah's, um, you know, content is that thinking about how what you're creating can be used across multiple platforms as well, you know, going and not feeling like I have to create for this particular one and this particular one and this particular one, because, you know, for me, 
as a viewer, I actually, I see like a symmetry going back, you know, if you go to, to um, Instagram and Twitter and you're following similar people, um, you seeing that content on both places, it just kind of helps build that trust a little bit. And it also gives you that other opportunity of being viewed, you know, as people too are, you know, probably most people coming into NFTs have probably had um, some influence on, on Instagram because let's face it, like how many billions of people actually do use Instagram as kind of their main platform that are probably going to be coming into the NFT space. And so seeing, you know, following their accounts, that's a trusted, you know, source. And a lot of people coming into NFTs, they haven't probably used Twitter, especially as like a way of connecting socially, maybe for news, maybe for sharing viewpoints, that sort of thing. But the way that we use it for NFTs, I don't know that every, like the normal user uses Twitter in that way. Um, and and so we, we do kind of modify that, but, you know, being able to gain that confidence in that person on Instagram or like, oh, I've seen their stuff or, you know, I'm familiar with them and then bringing it over into the NFT space. It is that way of we're building that trust with, with the, what NFTs are and gains that, that interest, you know, when you know the people or you're familiar with the people, I think it helps you overcome what you're seeing as news of like these scam attacks and these things that are happening and money laundering and all of those things. Like it is putting the people out there that are actually behind creating the artwork is yet another way in which people are like, oh, but those are real people. You know, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't, you know, a cartoon character that we're seeing. There's actually like real people involved and that will pique their interest and connection even that much more. But also, you know, ways in which not overcomplicating it, because you're exactly right, Parallax. Like they're, what we're doing today and what we see, I know when we think about creating content, it's like, okay, I have to do this and I have to do this. And this is like big and complicated, but if we really pay attention when we're watching a lot of these videos. I mean, think about how many are, you know, teenagers with their phone creating content that it's about it's them and what the what they're actually presenting that is what's capturing our attention and making us, you know, want to watch more. So keeping, you know, keeping all of those things in mind that sometimes I think we, you know, it's very, very, very easy to complicate things. <laughs> but I appreciate you bringing up that maybe we don't need to do that. And I think even watching, you know, some of the Instagram, you know, reels and that sort of thing, even NFT related, it's it's not even always the ones that are, you know, big and flashy. It's, you know, the people that are giving you information and, and sharing those kind of behind the scenes or giving you a tidbit that um, is interesting, that that's kind of what you connect with more than going, wow, that was amaz an amazingly produced, you know, video clip, you know, Um because I know that that ends up being something that's reserved for content that, you know, we're not actually consuming on a regular basis, but, um, and, and seeking out. I mean, if we think about how little regular TV um, is, is actually consumed in, in every day now, and we, we are moving to where we get our information from people and from connections like this. Um, and I guess... Also, I know there's been some discussion about, is it Vimo, the, um, the, for, especially for photography that, um, is, doesn't have the algorithm involved. Um, I know Sarah has created one. I know Sabode has, I was curious if anyone has been active with it or seeing anything developing with it. Yes, Sarah, you're welcome to take the mic. Okay. I'm in the bath, guys. <laughs> no, but I do want to talk about this. So 
Yeah, so Vero, Vero has been around for a while. There's actually a lot of like controversy surrounding it. So definitely do your research. Apparently, it's not as great of a platform as maybe we're all thinking. But in how I looked at it, I obviously have an account and I am definitely giving it a bit of a shot because I do think it's the early on stages. So there might be an opportunity to like, really establish yourself there. But here's the thing. People have been running to it because look at who has been making YouTube videos about it. Like Peter McKinnon. He has a lot of influence, which I don't think a lot of people understand. So in, and he's probably most likely paid to talk about that platform. So there's people like that who have been drawing interest to it again. So, of course, we all follow because that's what we do. So you just have to make a choice. Like, is it worth your time to stick it out and, and grow something there? Is it going to turn into anything? Because the majority of us, if we leave, then what's really the platform going to be good for? If I can see it as if you're a hobbyist and you just love to you know, share your photography and just interact with people. But like, maybe it'll be a good place for you. But if you are running a business and photography is not really there yet, is it going to be helpful for you? So that's how I've looked at it, just because I do see everything through my like my business and that perspective. And again, time is money. So I have decided to start sharing there, but I'm not putting as much effort into Vero as I am like my Twitter and my Instagram because these platforms are still dominating everything. And that is where everybody is. Yeah, I still didn't make my Vero yet just because uh, I guess time in a day <laughs> 24 hours in a day um but yeah i want to check it out like you said i think there's that opportunity because it's um because it's very it's very new right and like i'd, I'd love to you know th there's something about starting on a new platform and then re-looking at your work and wh what you would post and how you would post it and creating it in a new organizational way like if I could, if I could reset up my Instagram right now, I, you know, you know, I probably would like, there's a lot of images on there that I'd probably remove that I've had on there in the past. And, um, I'm just a better curator now over time. So there's something interesting about getting on Vero and, um, you know, like starting up like a new grid of stuff that I've already have laid out where each photo speaks to the next and the colors speak to, to the next. And, um, you know, creating something, uh, something interesting. And then if, like you said, if it, if it does, um, if it does tend to blow up and do really well, and then Instagram doesn't kind of, uh, make the changes that they, that they should. I mean, if, if, if they're, if they're, cre if the creators on Instagram's, uh, morale or whatever is at an all time low and they decide to not make changes based on that, I mean, then we really know where their priorities lie. Right. And so that's, you know, I, I, I hope they make the changes, but if they don't, then, you know, maybe Vero is, is the place. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to look into, um, you know, compartmentalizing some time over to uh, getting up on there and connecting with you guys. You know, what I, 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 I'm sorry, Simone. I only wanted to add one thing that, uh, so obviously we have these new um, like facts coming out about Instagram and 
creator satisfaction being at an all-time low but do you guys not notice how like we all talk about this we all we're all frustrated by you just how it just keeps getting more challenging and challenging but the one thing that i notice is that we're still using it so even everybody in this room that has kind of had their say about instagram i still see you posting on there i still see you sharing things on your story so you're still using it so even though it is challenging, just try to make the best of what it is. That's what I decided to do. I just decided, no, I'm just going to focus on myself on my Instagram, be who I am, stick true to what I want to build. Even though my following hasn't grown, my experience on there with the people that I've already like built something with is has skyrocketed. So it's not useless. It still works. And I do challenge you all, especially the ones that hate it so much, if you are, if you do hate it that much, then actually stop using it. But if you are still using it, then just use it to your advantage what it is. Instagram is not going to go away. It never is. It's a very, very smart company. But hopefully with these new things that have come out, they're going to make some changes that benefit photography. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to do with us too, right? It's like I could go over to Instagram and complain about the engagement but the truth is, like, you get back what you give, right? So, like, a lot of what I give is on Twitter. So, a lot of what I get back is on Twitter. So, if I'm going on Instagram for, you know, 20 minutes a day, and it's usually just to make a post, put hashtags, and then comment on, a, you know, a couple of the same people that I usually comment on, because I don't really look at the feed, because I follow too many people, and I'm, I'm fed a bunch of stuff that I really don't don't care to look at and that's my own fault for just following a lot of stuff and and you know looking at things that they kind of force feed into me to look at but yeah the truth is like it's like it's like how how much you put in is like what you're going to get back there so I can't really complain that much about it I mean it's because if I was if I was replying and you know commenting and sharing the work of tons of people on Instagram then you know, more than likely they would be doing the same for me in the way that it's happening on, on, on Twitter. It's just not, it's just not as NFT focused, but it is art focused. It's just, it's just how much time are we putting, putting into it to get back? And I'm sure, you know, Sarah, cause you put time into both. Yeah, I do. I do put time into both. And I got to the point actually where I've hired an assistant to help me with my Instagram, which is a really interesting experience because she's had to like audit me and, you know, learn about me. So that's that's been interesting. But yeah, I did have to get help with it so that I could keep them all going. There is one thing I've actually thought about making a video about this and then turning it into a reel on Instagram. Something that I noticed that maybe I don't know if they consider this or if they think about it. But restricting, because they want to push us all to video, which is like, okay, we get it. I think naturally the world just does go to video and is drawn to it. But why like restrict us so much if they would just give people just a little bit, just give them that little boost where they do get some views that, you know, it's not even that much, like just notable for them. How much encouragement would inspire creators to keep going? rather than restrict us so much, which only makes people feel like shit. But if you encourage them, if you encourage the creators on your app, we will probably see some of the most 
like talented people surfaced from there. So that's the one thing I don't understand with Instagram, just restricting our views. It really is doing nothing for morale, but giving us that little bit so that we can actually reach people. Again, I feel it will only inspire and encourage creators to keep going. I think that's a really a really valid point for sure. And and yes, definitely with um, you know, keeping in mind that they are tools. I know we talk about this a lot in our navigating NFT space because we did have we were very um social media focused, but um, you know, really keeping it realistic that we are getting what we getting out what we put in. Um and sometimes that isn't isn't the all always what we want to hear, but that is the realistic side of it. Um but also, you know, exploring those different ways in which we can um, you know, keep our message coming and also um be productive in what we're what we're using and what we're creating and um just to be able to get that message out. But um it's definitely an interesting process too to be um you know finding ways just like outsourcing to be able to, um, you know, continue to create and continue to participate. Um, and it is, it's a, another, definitely another element of everything that we are doing here. Um, and it is, I think maybe too, I know from creating content for YouTube, it can be a little frustrating if you're focusing on NFT related content, just because you are exposed to so many more people that are not within our community. Um, our response, you know, on Twitter, we're interacting with people that are um, very aware of NFTs and, you know, are, are more NFT believers. And and once you get out to, you know, I've I've definitely experienced it on um, with NFTs on YouTube is that people, you know, that's where in your comment section, they're going to definitely let you know how what they think about NFTs, not even your content, but NFTs in general, you know, that they're scams, you know, they're the devil, they're ruining the world, the whole thing. So um, I think too keeping a realistic idea about that too, because I can see where that could be discouraging for folks too, if we're within, you know, our, our community in the nft world and then you're putting content out there on other platforms um and the response that you might get about nfts you know it's just that other reminder that we're just early and <laughs> us having a different opinion and viewpoint shouldn't really shouldn't slow us down and that doesn't surprise me at all um with you know with with michelle's poll that 50 you know 56 percent believe that nfts are a scam i actually am kind of surprised for the general population that it's not more than that um just from feedback and that will change over time um but you know keeping those realistic um ideas and, and understanding there as well. And, and also kind of expecting the more that we share about NFTs on more mainstream platforms or with more, um, more mainstream folks that there's going to, they're, they're, you're not the only one. If you're getting resistance based on NFTs, you're not the only one <laughs> that it's, it is happen It does happen across the board. So, cause I know that part can be a little discouraging as well. But we can, we'll see if that continues across, you know, as we move forward. And it may be even interesting to do those polls, you know, on a, on a somewhat regular basis, once a month, once every couple of months, and just kind of um, document how that change is happening. Um, I think we forget about some of those polls, you know, some of those tools that we have, but even, you know, doing similar ones between different platforms to, um, it would be interesting between Instagram and TikTok to see, you know, what that audience, how that audience 
respond to receiving um, information about NFTs and, you know, that just because there's different people taking in that information. Um, so between, you know, your Twitter, your Instagram, and if you're doing TikTok, you know, what those, what your response is. And, and as we move forward, you know, have, is that trust, is that trust actually happening? Um, and I think too, the idea about art with NFTs is is understood differently than PFP, maybe from the general population. Um, I think it's easier to understand um, NFTs and the providence associated um, with with art um, that is guaranteed by your your smart contract and your NFTs. I think all of that is easier to understand than maybe the PFP side and what you're getting and joining a community and what's going to happen after that. And I think that being able to separate those two and help people understand that is a little bit easier. Um, you know, they're, they're used to having some sort of authenticity. If you are in the collectible world, there is, you know, that certification, that verification. Um, and so knowing that that providence is there and it's guaranteed and it's um, secured, all of that is like, oh, well, that's that's solving a problem from the everyday world that is advancing, um, you know, and, and actually is helping the collector in that regard. So I do think that even helping people on board on the art side, there's things that we can correlate that actually are going to build confidence quicker than maybe trying to understand why I have this cartoon character and then I'm going to be friends with these 10,000 people and we're going to build this together. Like, why do I really want to do that? <laughs> is that really going to happen? But I think the the art side is going to, I think I see the opportunity for sure. And I know for me talking to people, that is where they can start grasping these ideas. Um, and so I think even using those opportunities to use art and you know those relations can help people understand it and gain that trust a little bit better and then possibly move forward but yes Sarah you're welcome to to go ahead well so I'm not going to talk about the platforms but I did want to just touch base on uh, like video and I actually think Parallax would be such a great candidate for something like this especially when you're in the our little photography world like we want to know what what you're creating and and how you create it and piece it all together but i just wanted to say something about video it was a few years back right before i started my youtube channel one of the brands that i work with uh shimoda designs like it's a camera bag company he approached me about video and i wasn't yet into it and just his perspective was you need to start doing video for your work or you need to start incorporating video into your workflow just for how valuable it is and how more like more dominant it's going to become in the future. That doesn't mean that I've stopped being a photographer, a photographer, like my main focus is photography and that's what everything I've built is surrounded about. But video, like explaining how I create things or educating through video, there's so many avenues that can be taken with that, with your photography. And of course in parallax with his digital art. So I think, just like disregard all of the platforms and just focus on something new, which definitely is video and it will benefit you. Which is what I pinned, what I just pinned up to the Jumbotron. <laughs> so that was well-timed, Sarah. 
Yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, video is something that it gives you that opportunity to craft your own message and have that message repeated consistently, regardless of whether you're present to present it or not, you know, in the physical form. Um, And it is, it just, I think it has such a powerful force. And to also understand, you know, very, very true, Sarah, where you're going, what you're doing, what equipment. And there's a lot of details that you can take in while watching a video that you're going to be under understanding details um, and building confidence and and connecting with your audience in ways you don't have to say, I like to use this camera because you actually see the camera. You know, for instance, watching a Sarah Lindsay video, you see the camera, you're seeing the tripod, you're seeing the location, like all of these things come to life and you're like, okay, I totally get it. And those details don't have to be actually um, said, they're just right there in front of you. Um, And the same with other creation, figuring ways in which you can show your workflow, show your, how you're creating and producing um it does it pulls it pulls your viewers in i mean i know you guys know this but also it's i sometimes having you know somebody from the outside mentioning those details can help drive it home but you know there's that consistency in messaging is so 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 important and that that people are able to gain that confidence of what's happening um and it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be a large production it can be something that's happening um smoothly and quickly and yes, and how to use that across the platforms. Not And Sarah, I think that you've maybe kind of changed being aware of how you're capturing the content in the moment, like, you know, your, whether it's in landscape or, or portrait mode, like how you're actually going about that to be able to use it on different platforms. So some of those little details might be helpful and might be something to help while you're actually capturing the content. But I think that those little details can be something that's somewhat easily overcome. Oh, you are just so correct about that. I will just say if you take on video, that's the most challenging thing is art. Like, how are you filming it? Is it for the phone or is it going to be, you know, like a nice cinematic video? I think you need to be very um, aware of both and how they both play a role into what we're building. But short form video just on the phone, film through your phone is where the world is headed in direction however there still is so much value like youtube youtube is still presented as a horizontal format there still is a lot of value in that so as i've began my um video journey like i'm just constantly aware i need to be filming in both ways it's a lot of work i will say definitely a lot of work yeah and that is the problem that is the challenge um Definitely, because of that need to switch between horizontal and vertical to suit all the different platforms and preferences there. And there's no right or wrong. Uh, Yeah, I think you just have to do both. And it just means double the work or triple the work if you're also doing stills. But you've got to have the moving picture. There's no doubt about it. And you don't need to be too intimidated by it. I mean, I made a transition from photography to filmmaking and uh, actually found it quite straightforward. And that's like we're talking about sequences here. We're not talking about you know, what what you guys are talking here about, which is just like creating a behind the scenes, which is probably maybe only one angle or two angles that you need to think about. Um, you don't even necessarily need to think too much about changing the shot size, unless you really want to make it dynamic. If we're just talking about short form in like whatever, 10, 15, 30 seconds, you don't need to worry too much about shot sizes um, and that kind of thing, which is where kind of filmmaking knowledge starts to come into it. And it's obviously more work, there's more editing. If you're just shooting it with your phone whether it's vertical or horizontal it's like one take right okay maybe if you don't get it right in one take you might have to edit it but it's you know basically what i'm saying is it's um 
photographers shouldn't be too intimidated to explore video making. And, and I do sense the reticent to do that, right? I do sense there's quite a lot of like, oh my God, I don't know what to do about making, you know, films. It's not, it's not, it's not something to worry too much about. Yeah, right. I mean, like compositionally, it's the same thing, right? Like if you're, yeah. uh, if you're a photographer and you, you understand how to, um, you know, line up something and, and, and compose something well, right? Um, the way I think of it is if I was to move into some video stuff, I'd probably start with um, something that looked like a photograph that just had moving elements, right? I'd probably just um, place a tripod in an area that I thought was really beautiful where a lot of things were happening around it. And um, and I think that's probably a decent place to start, right? You don't have We don't have to start with like panning and all this crazy gear and stuff like that, but um, just you know because there's there are some scenes that i that i see in life where i'm like yeah this with movement would make more more sense and so i'll probably start doing a little bit more of that while i'm at a scene is you know videoing videoing that scene while i'm doing it and whether i create a reel out of it or whatever it comes out of it it's probably just an interesting idea to also um jump into the, the video world as well I know if if you're already doing pretty well as a photographer, it's a lot easier to jump into the video uh, cinematography scene if you're and and you know vice versa. Yeah, and that's how I I found it. Um, and you know we talked about storytelling the other day, guys. You know when we had that space that we didn't quite finish and we felt we probably had to <laughs> have another one. Um, that that's what I was going to probably explore a bit more was this idea of moving from st telling the story in one photo to then telling a story in a series of photos then being able to storyboard and understand shot sizing and then be able to make um, films and that transition is made much easier if you if you started off with a strong stills background because you already understand you know so many of the basics like composition light um, storytelling within a frame and then just learning how to expand that into sequences um, so so yeah it's definitely something to try I mean actually the one the one thing I would say that photographers will tend to do that's kind of, I suppose, natural because they're used to like using a tripod and having <laughs> their image kind of still and crisp and in focus is doing too much of that when they try to make films and not realizing that actually it doesn't have to always be exactly in focus. The camera can be moving. And in fact, it's often beneficial that it's moving. And while lockdown shots that are on tripods are obviously useful, um, don't get too hung up on that. Um, Handhold it. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if the, if the frame moves around. So that's what you'll see. Quite a lot of photographers who move into photography do too many static shots when they're making their sequences. So it kind of just looks like a lot of still photographs put together. <laughs> um, so that's probably one thing to just be aware of. <laughs> yeah, no, you're laughing at me because I raised my hand. I just feel polite when I raise my hand. I don't know. I just wanted to add, so since we are in the NFT world and we're all here with our most of us in here with photography NFTs, I have started like with each collection now that I put out, I actually make like a whole promo video for it. And I feel that extra step is so, 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 so worth it because with video and your voice and people being able to see you and A, they can actually use that video for themselves down the road. Like if they buy into your collection, that might be very, as me and Emma had discussed this, it might be very valuable for them to be able to have that promo video, but you can evoke emotion through a video and really, really like grab their attention 
far more, it's far more effective than just text and words. So it was a lot of extra work. Like my video ended up being nine minutes. I don't know why, because I'm just crazy. And it was a lot of extra work, but it was like three days of just really focusing on this video. And now I have this video with my collection that I fully believe is going to be able to help me sell the collection. I sent it out yesterday through my email list and just one one person only watched the video and they ended up reserving three pieces from the entire collection. So I definitely think even here as we were describing our work and you know selling something like a collection video is so 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 valuable and can really help you drive your message. And that is um, that is a great um, way of showing that it's effective, huh? <laughs> a great case in point right there. That is fantastic. Well, and I think, too, you know, being able to, you know, we talk about the amount of time it takes with being involved in social media, but also if we're thinking about how we can be more effective with the time that we're being, that we're using, that we're actually spending here. And if you, instead of telling the story of your, um, you know, of let's say for in this instance, instead of, you know, telling your story over and over again, if you can pin that story to the top of your feed and every single person that comes can see it right there, like that is actually very, very efficient <laughs> use, creative time that goes into creating that video is really ends up being really well spent um, because one you're crafting your message it's consistent you are really confident in what the message is you know you can you can spend the time to make it exactly what you want it to be and then every single person that goes there they're going to be intrigued by that you can use it across your platform so you're not just reaching those in twitter you're reaching those in instagram you're reaching those you know if you want to on tiktok on youtube you know be able to really really maximize your your email list maximize the people that are able to see that message and you can use that for the time, you know, for that point forward, you know, um, I think sometimes in the space, we're always focused on what's happening at the moment. And we kind of can leave, you know, leave some things behind. But even as you have pieces, you know, let's say you sell out a collection, you have pieces available on the secondary and you have a collector that wants to actually list those on the secondary, they can use that promo video that you created for you launched the collection to get people excited about it again. You can, if you have pieces, you know, even if the collector's in doing that, if you as the artist know that you have pieces left on this, you know, listed on secondary from a collection that may have, you know, sold out months ago, you can still use that video again to say, this is what this is all about, you know, and this is an opportunity to be a part of this story. Um, there's just, it doesn't, it doesn't just go away when the collection, you know, sells out on primary. There's just so many uses for it and having that, that time and attention. Um, and Mike too, you know, mentioning, you know, seeing scenes or taking in scenes where you're like, this could, this could be more impactful in motion. Even just taking the time to, to create, to capture those moments while you're there, even if you don't know exactly what you're going to use them for at the moment, having that content can be so useful for later on too. Um, and starting to create some B-roll, you know, on your camera of like, this is this area and this is this area and this is this area. Um, because it may be really useful down the road as you're creating something, um, even, you know, 
know, not knowing exactly what it's going to be at that moment, but like this was a cool time. The light was perfect. The setting was perfect and capturing that and, and logging it um, to be able to start building out um, those resources as well. But Sarah, that's really exciting. Um, and that's one of the things for the, you have an exciting week ahead launching your collection and for the pre-sale and then it will be happening this week. So um, I know you've been working really, really hard. So happy to hear that it's being well received and things are happening there. So congratulations. I'm actually really, this is like the email list test with this collection. So I, I don't know if you guys know, but I've only been sending it out like the preview based on email, which has definitely been quite the process. But I just, I just have this feeling, this really strong feeling that in years time, it's just not going to be realistic to keep up with like DM chats. And I think we have an opportunity right now. And it's so, so easy, so easy to do to start collecting people's emails for the future. Then you have like this direct connection to that person. So with this collection, yeah, it's going well so far. And it's only been through email. So I'm really, I'm kind of documenting it all. And I hope to share this experience when it's done and send it over with how the email list really worked in my favor for this. For the um, on the subject of email, for the spaces um, dashboard um, link that I was talking about at the top of the space, one of the options you have um, is you can connect like uh, an email to it, so that if you can so to be noted. Sorry, Joseph. I apologize. <laughs> I am so sorry. Please continue. Uh, I don't know what you heard, but I think basically you can attach an email address to be notified of spaces, which is pretty powerful. That is great to be able to maximize, you know, those opportunities um, to be able to not miss things that we're, we're wanting to catch in Twitter spaces. Um, and I do believe that Andrew is in the room. So if, if he has any information he'd like to talk about with Twitter spaces um, and with, with the program of Dashboard, um, you're welcome to come up and share. Um, and if people have questions, we can, we can definitely um, see if, if Andrew would like to share with us, but just wanted to give him a shout out and say welcome to the space um but yeah it's great to know that there's those resources and starting to explore some options outside of what we're you know outside of our our you know immediate community here on twitter and starting to expand those options um and so sarah i'm glad you're documenting and paying attention to um how the process is going because it's a great experiment um to see how you know how reaching those people that have signed up for your um, your newsletter, you know how that will be, how effective that can be, and that power of connecting with folks that want the content, not just wondering if they're um, you know wondering if you're putting a message out there, but being having a way to channel it to people that are directly requesting to receive the information. Well, the the like the really cool thing about it is that I can direct like the people where I want them to be directed. So I want the I wanted them on my website. That's where I built everything, like the page where I described the collection. I put the video and all the images because it's really healthy if you can drive traffic to your website. So especially ones coming for NFTs, that's only going to help my website, you know, establish itself as an NFT site. So I'm just 
I'm just trying to like think of think ahead and building this now so that years down the road, I have like this healthy supply, healthy supply of email lists. And I, lots of people keep asking me, how do I get the emails? Well, I, I like draw a call to action. Like, hey, this is what's happening. Well, I'll tweet about it. My collection's coming out. And I'll tweet about it a few times. It's not just one time. And I make them know the only way you're getting on this list is if you sign up to my email list. And it's not like a flood of people come to it. But having a few, just, you know, one, two, or three, show that interest. There was one that was like, oh, my gosh, he DM'd me. Please, this is my email. Add me to this list and he was the one that ended up based on the video reserving three pieces not just one he reserved three from the entire collection so even though it's just one or two people for now that are trickling in I still believe this is going to be very very powerful down the road and I don't have to do anything to build it it's just there on my twitter account it really is the easiest thing I admire your organizational skills and that's amazing to have an email list and have from that email list um one of the collectors pick up like three pieces just through that like it's just you kind of i you know i've kind of forgot about emails you know and i guess there's still there is still that place for it to you know have like a list of people that you know maybe they're your collectors or just people that you have interest with in the space and um that you send them like a little newsletter of like what's going on with you and i think people do still read email and stuff like that it's just yeah, I admire how many different avenues that you um, that you hit, and you know, I I, I see now why you, you you've had to hire someone to help you with um with some of your social media presence and stuff. There's just like, I I was saying before, like it just feels sometimes like there's just not enough time in the day to do like all the things that I want to do. Like I just um I had this uh, this artist in the space just recently um send me an invite to to Mid Journey, which is um which is developing through AI. It's supposed to be even better than uh, Dolly. And I'm like, I, I feel bad because she's, she's sent me this invite. That's like, she only gets a few of them to send like, like, like four or five days ago now. And I still, I said I was going to start playing with it. I haven't, I just haven't had, haven't had the time between everything that I'm doing, <laughs> but I admire, you know, you know, your ability to kind of, um, to juggle all those things and organization is something that I'm, that I'm working on, you know, right now. And I think it's just a great, uh, it's a great thing for a, a lot of artists in the space to hear that it's not just, you know, it's not just like posting your work out there and just sending out a tweet that, but that there's just all these different roads and avenues around that in where, you know, you can, you can, you know, really have more eyes on your stuff. Go ahead, Sarah, please. I sorry, I, I don't mean to stop you or anything. I just wanted to add to that before in case the uh, subject changed. I just wanted to um, tell you guys about something and I think about this a lot. So I don't know if you know him, um, Matt, uh, his last name is Walsh, I think. So he's like, I think he calls himself Whale Poppy. I'm, I'm sure you guys know who he is. So he had like a healthy Twitter account already built up and something happened and he actually lost his entire account. So he had to make a new one. Now, okay, so this is where I see the email list as being very valuable. He lost his account. He lost a lot of those like direct connections 
to his collectors. Remember, if you're not following someone, you can't message them. So he did say, he's like, I've, I've tried to get their, I've tried to get their attention. And he's relying on the mercy of Twitter for, you know, himself to be able to sell things. Whereas if he had their emails or he had an email list built up, he could have sent out an announcement. Hey, this is what happened to my account. I've had to make a new one. And then they will know to come and follow him. I do not like at all as a business leaving like the power of my business within social media. And that is why the email list has since the dawn of time always been very, very important for a business. It truthfully works. And I've, I've told this story a few times before, but I also lead tours. And one of my partners, this wasn't through my email list, this was through his, but just over the years of building it up, we went to go launch our New Zealand tour. And this is an expensive tour. It's about $8,000. And through one push on his email list with it, it didn't even hit social media, it didn't even make it to our, our promotions on social media, it sold out within two hours. So it just gives you this direct connection to your target audience that social media has no control over. Yeah, I mean, something similar to that too. Well, yeah, well, social media has control. This is, that's, that's a great point that you brought up about like relying on that platform. Um, and if it goes down, you know, if even if you create a new one on that platform, how how are you going to remember um, remember all of those people? I mean, there's something that I do where I have sort of like little collector chats, like within Twitter, where I kind of keep collectors like up to date on like what I'm doing, and we have you know interesting conversations and some stuff like that. But um, yeah, if 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 I had lost that, right, then you know that that email that email list backup is really important. So how do you um, how can you help us that are, you know, not so familiar with how to put a list like this together? Because, like, this would be kind of difficult for me to put, put a list together right now of all, like, the important um, people to me right now, like, in the space, because there's, there's so many. So uh, I have to figure out who they all are and then message them and ask them for their email. Like, how would you tell someone like me or anyone here that that that, that should do probably do something this how can we start okay so the best way i think to go about this so this is I, i'll tell you what i'm doing so my main email list like my main one where i send out the email is actually through mailchimp it's free and everybody can use it i believe in every country so that's the typically the standard that most people use so MailChimp, maybe I'll write out a tweet and put all these links and then you guys, I'll, I'll take you guys all in it. So MailChimp first, start there. So how I've been going about it on Twitter, because it's NFT targeted, is I'm also signed up to the, I think it's pronounced review. So it's Twitter's email list. And if you go look at my profile, you'll see there's a block that I say on something like uh, sign up here for future NFT drops. I don't know, something like that. So right away when people come to my account, because remember, they do come to look at your pinned tweet. They're going to see that. And it's so simple for them. It's like one click of a button, put in your email address, and then I have it. And then what I do with that over time, like I'll, I'll say over about a month, is you can actually export because I don't want to actually use uh, Twitter's email list provider to send out the emails. I looked at the templates and it's really, really ugly. I just don't like it. But you can export your list of emails that you have already collected and then you can import it into your MailChimp. So it's, it takes two steps. 
but it's just like two clicks of a button and it just does it automatically for you. And then on my MailChimp, I have like an email list for tours and then I have an email list for NFTs and an email list for other things. And you, how you separate the people is just by a tag. So I put a tag, NFTs, and then I added all the people that I wanted under that list. And then that's where I've been sending out my um, emails. So in, in like the terms of getting your current collectors on this email list, well, you likely already have a relationship with them. So if they haven't seen it on your account and signed themselves up, then I would approach them and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Can I have your email? And it, you, you'll just slowly build it up over time. Like I've been, I've been working on this list for a few months and it has grown. Like I think I have about 200 people that have signed up to what is my NFT list. And again, already without even announcing this on Twitter or showing people what I'm going to be selling, I threw that email, just one, it was one hour after I sent out my email, I got a message, I want to reserve three pieces. And the, it was because of actually the video, that's what they watched first. So that's how I've gone about my email list journey. And again, I do think it's going to be very, very valuable for from the future when we all are like, we're so sick of DMs and all the big chats that we've created. I'm not saying that those don't have any weight right now, but I think down the road, the emails are going to be very valuable. And I was a person that was shadow banned from Twitter for using too many damn yellow hearts. So that right, like I lost my account for five days. I do not want Twitter having that much power over my business because I need to pay my bills and eat food. And I just don't feel comfortable only relying on social media to promote my work. Thanks for that, Sarah. I think that's helpful for a lot of people. So I, I think you said that the name of it was um, Mailchan. Is it M-A-I-L-C-H-A-N? Did I hear that correctly or no? No, it's Mailchimp. So Mailchimp. Oh, like a chimpanzee. Yeah, like a monkey. So that's, oh. that's just the most common that I know that a lot of people use. It's actually really great. And then another reason why it's better than DMs is because you can design this really beautiful template. Like you, it, you have just so many options to really sell your point rather than a DM, which is just like, holy shit, did that person just write out a damn novel and now I got to look at their images? It's just visually more pleasing. And I think you can really, really use it and use colors and just totally trap people into it. So I'm a big advocate for the email list. Awesome. So now I have to take videos um, outside of photos. I have to get a TikTok. I have to get MailChimp. Okay. It's on my list. Vero. Vero. Oh, yeah. Vero. Vero. Hi, Alpha. I see Alpha came up. <laughs> Hey, how's it going, everybody? Sarah, I love it. I love what you're talking about, and uh, I love what you're doing. It's very progressive, and um, I think it's brilliant. So just being dependent upon one um, social media platform, which it seems like a huge amount of people in the space are, um, is really dangerous. And so by generating um, mail list um, of emails, where you can have direct contact with your collectors and people that are interested in what you're doing outside of any um, specific uh, platforms. Brilliant. So huge kudos to you. And um, I'm glad you're having success with it already, but I am pretty confident that you'll continue to have huge success in that. So I just wanted to say 
congrats and it's brilliant and kudos and thank you for sharing it with everyone. You are so kind. Thank you. Thank you so much. I do want to just point out. So um, like our lovely Rachel Wood, she's very close to me as a friend, but this is essentially what she is doing with her art verse. I know there's going to be a lot more, but her art verse is like connecting artists and collectors via usually through an email list. So why, but why do we stop there? Like, this is your business. This is your thing. Make your own email list so that you just, I cannot tell you the power and like that feeling of just having your own thing and not relying on anybody else. So I, I do, I, I really suggest you guys to make your own email list the review, I think it's spelled R-E-V-U-E. That's the one with Twitter. Get it on your account and you'll just see people just trickle in and they will they will subscribe if they want to know what you're doing. That one was review, R-E-V-U-E? Yes, I think so. So how I found all these things was I just Googled like Twitter because I didn't know how to spell it before, but it was Twitter, Twitter email list, and then it'll take you to the site. It's orange. Just look for the orange and then male chimp. So male and the monkey. And you can't miss that one because their branding logo is a monkey. Okay. And it's, and it's, it's, it's not M-A-L-E like a male chimp. It's male M-A-I-L, right? Yeah. Like email. I'm just being being an ass now. (laughs) I'm I'm turning into a prune in the bath so someone else tweet about it and then pin it no really thank you for all that information it's making me realize that I have all my stuff in just kind of one to two places and I need it in more places like it's kind of like a backup uh, it's kind of like creating a backup to your files but this is kind of a backup to your uh, communication um, infrastructure with people but what I like is Sarah is in the bath right now and she's throwing all this alpha. Because before I got in the bath, you guys, like, I heard, I was listening. I was just typing a message and I heard social media, TikTok, Sarah. And I was like, oh, I better go up there and start talking. And then it turned into email list. I'm getting out now. And yes, this is definitely great information and stuff that we actually, um, Sarah does a great job of talking about these topics and we um, have covered a lot of them in our NFT and in, in our um, navigating NFT space that we do on Fridays. So these are the kinds of topics that we delve into with social media um, in those spaces. So you guys can definitely join on those moments too. But um, I'm glad to know the update, especially on the newsletter and how well that that's been working. So um, Sarah, we'll, we'll give you a break <laughs> just for a bit, but you're welcome to join in any time. And I know Chip has joined us on the stage and has his hand up and then Alpha raised his hand. So I'll go ahead and say, hello to chip um and then we can go over to alpha as well hi chip how are you today i'm good thanks mate how you doing doing well doing well thank you another wicked space man i'm finding myself staying up late just to tune into these things it's really good um and i applaud i applaud sarah as well for you know what sounds like quite an innovative position to take or strategy to take but email marketing has been around for you know forever it's what's what sarah's doing is following traditional marketing routes um using twitter at the top of the awareness you know the purchasing funnel so at the top is awareness and that's where twitter really helps because it's got it's got massive reach but there's also a lot of wastage right so you know like i don't know how many people you reach with a post but maybe 
only 10% of the people that see it are really relevant potential customers. Um, so what she's doing is she's qualifying, you know, people from Twitter down to a smaller number of people that have now been qualified as people of interest, acquiring acquiring a contact point for those interested parties. And now she's got one-on-one um, communication going on with people that have been pre-qualified as potential customers. So it's just, it's just, I mean, it's a sensible business strategy that, that any company's employer has been doing for you know, decades now. Um, but I, I think, the whole the whole email marketing thing is that there is a science to it. Um, I don't know whether it's for a different space, but the number of characters you have in your title, the frequency you send emails out, um, the amount of the word count within the body, all of these things make it different to the um, the bounce rate, the open rate, and the dwell time within the email. Um, so you want to keep an eye on those analytics and pull different levers to ensure that the engagement is as, as high as possible. But um, you're so impressive. I think I think you, Sarah, and May. I'm sure you probably all know May. The pair of you are um, the way you're thinking about this as a business as opposed to an artist. I, I that that's exactly what I you know I preach. And um, yeah, it's wonderful to hear you speaking the way you, you speak. You're, 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 you speak like a like a like an entrepreneur or a business owner as opposed to. A creative, and that's not a diss to anyone. I'm just saying that that language and that that approach is um, we, we 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 need to see more of that. I think um, an education around how to do it is the starting starting point. So, kudos to you. Thank you. I just well, I would just quickly will say thank you because that's just I feel very honored that you would even say that. But yes, I tell I I put the business brain on because I'm just completely alone. So it seriously is survival for me. I need to pay my bills and I want to pay my bills with my camera. So whatever I have to do, I'll learn it and I will do it. Yeah. And, and, and just, just to finish the point, I mean, I, I understand some of that uh, tongue in cheek spatial about, you know, the to-do list, all these things we have to do. And I, I don't kind of get what you're saying. The, the amount of effort that goes in at the top, we'll see, an awful lot of time saved in a few months time or whenever the next drop is. Um, so you're basically what Sarah's doing is building a foundation of which to pivot point of sale marketing campaigns off the top of. So if you've got a brand equity level that, that you've built through what she's doing now, and then you can, and then you can launch campaigns off of the top of that. And by campaign, I mean collection, um, you know, she can easily be 50% sold out by the time it drops. So there's there's a there's a time investment happening now to save an awful lot of time down the track. Absolutely, thank you, Chip. Yeah, it's um, you know there's if this is what you want to be doing, right? If this is what we want to be doing, right? To me, it's it's really important right now to be able to work on art, be involved in art, educate within art, curate all this stuff. Like there's there's a lot to do. Right. And it's, it's like, you know, I, I do see a lot of times um, a lot of artists, you know, complaining, saying like, I just want to make art. I don't want to deal with all this. And that's fine. You know, like you can do whatever you want. Right. But um, the outcome might be a bit different. Right. I mean, if you like we were talking about before, it's like what you put in is like what you get back. Like, yeah, my, my Instagram's not booming right now because 
um, a lot of the engaging and 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 in stuff that I do is is on Twitter. So is is Instagram to blame or is it is it is it me to blame? So it's like, yeah, there's a there's a and, and what Sarah's um, you know giving us is is just a whole host of other things and other ways and other avenues in which we can help build our brand. And I mean, as much as artists don't want to build a brand and they just want to create artwork, yeah, I mean. I do too. Like, obviously, like, obviously if I could just make artwork and that was it. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. But it just so happens that there's an entire infrastructure that goes behind building a brand. And, you know, you just got to take from other people what, what you can. And we all have different time. You know, we don't all have the same time in a day, but um, apply that at least to, to what you can. And I see Alpha has his hand up. I know he's, I'd love to hear from Alpha on this. Yeah, I put my hand up to talk about um, another subject, but I will say I 100% um, agree with Chip. And I think in this space, and you too, Mike, it's funny because you do hear a lot of people saying, oh, I just want to make art. I don't want to have to deal with this. But it's interesting because a lot of times the people saying that, they're spending hours of their day every day saying that. They're not necessarily spending that time making art. They're spending that time in spaces and in other places talking about what they don't want to do and you can't get that time back. But every, every minute that you spend doing something productive, like what Sarah is doing and actually um, building out her, her brand and creating, um, you know, Mark creating these lists and, and that work that you actually have to, you know, the time you have to put into that up front, you, you get rewards for that from starting now all the way into the future. And so it's just a matter of being able to, you know, make wise decisions on how you're spending your time. And um, I just have to give a kudos to Sarah for doing that. And um, so I, I definitely appreciate um, the path that she's chosen to take. It's, it's incredible. Um, I did want to talk about something real fast because it's something that's real fresh on my mind. And I don't know if Emma has mentioned this or not, but we are um, uh, curating a space, um, a, a physical um, a, uh, exhibition that's happening with Super Chief in Venice in November. And um, I will say... One thing I didn't realize how long it, how much time it would take to do that. Um, it's very uh, time intensive, and um, we're doing that based off of pieces that I have collected. So it's it's all stuff that's out of my my own collection, and we have eight screens um, that are in a interesting layout. And so what we did because it's kind of an overwhelming experience when you first start. And what we wanted to do is we wanted whenever, whatever is on those screens, we want it all to fit and have like a really cool, cohesive look. So you've got a wall, it's got eight screens on it. We want whatever's on that wall to look really good together. And so we, what we did is we created a, a template that has all the screen sizes on a template to scale. And then we can take the art from the NFT and we can bring it over and then we can size it in to fit on that screen. And um, the reason I'm telling you all this is because what's happened is I've had like this Eureka moment because 
very little um, current NFT art actually fits on a physical display screen in any way that makes sense. And so um, there's a lot of pieces I can't use because literally the way it's sized will take up maybe half of a screen. And so it just looks really, really weird on a screen. And that's kind of like a travesty um, in a way. And then I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable cropping an artist's work. So I don't like the idea of cropping somebody's work to fit into um, what a screen display would be. And I think, you know, TVs are, are, one of the primary ways that people are going to be displaying digital art in the physical world and TVs are all, I mean, they're all different sizes, but the display size is, you know, pretty standard. So it's kind of interesting to me that I think there's a huge opportunity, <laughs> excuse me, a huge opportunity for um, artists right now in this world to get ahead of that, because I think we're going to see more and more, physical displays of digital art um and we're going to see exhibitions in in um, museums and institutions and they're all going to be facing the exact same thing that i'm dealing with right now and which you know the people that run these um, exhibitions like super chief deal with every single day and that stuff doesn't really fit and so it doesn't look that great when you put it onto an existing screen and so um I think there's a huge opportunity for artists to be very conscious of those screen sizes. And I'm not saying that you should make your art to where it fits onto a screen. So it displays um, beautifully, but there is an opportunity to potentially do that. But you also could do a version of it that you have control of the crop. And so you, you crop it the way you want it to be shown on a screen because what's happening is in, the, in these physical um, uh, exhibits, a lot of times your art's getting cropped to fit into a screen and you're not the person that's deciding how it looks. And so there's an opportunity for you to do that crop to fit into a physical screen, maybe even just put it as a hidden file that is unlock, you know, an unlockable file or that gets unlocked when you, when, when somebody buys that, that piece so that they have a way to exhibit it um, in a way that one, you like the way it looks because you've created that crop and two, where they feel comfortable being able to, to display it on a screen. So I just wanted to bring it up because it's very fresh in my mind. Um, there's, there's some art that I, very much wanted to be able to display that I'm not going to be able to just because of the aesthetic and especially the aesthetic when you put it into a wall with a whole bunch of other pieces and then you've got some really weird shaped stuff um, mixed into it. Now, yeah, I hadn't brought that up yet that we were, we've been working on that, um, but I am excited about the opportunity for sure. And it's been a, a definitely a learning experience and, and even playing off that idea of having a crop version, maybe even a display version where you decide maybe where you put your name 
I don't know if that would be something that would be helpful to like a display version that also has a way of, of showing that discreetly, but it would uh, um, alleviate some of those challenges too that we heard after NFT NYC of there being work displayed without the artist's name. Um, so just as an option, and I like the idea of the possible unlike, unlockable content, maybe of both one with and one without, depending on how it's going to be exhibited. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're using that screen space because there's space um, to fit uh, an image onto a screen right now. Almost every single image, there's going to be space at some point around that image on the screen. And so we're going to use that screen space to actually put the artist's name. And um, we're trying to balance it out so aesthetically it looks right um, when displayed on a wall with eight other pieces. But... Um, I definitely think there's an opportunity to do that for an artist because not everyone's taking the time to do that. And that's why you you'll see an exhibit and your art might be in that exhibit and it's not, you know, no one knows it's your art, which is not good for you at all. And um, one way you could control that is if you did a image that was actually, you know, made to fit onto a screen where you actually had your name. Um, as part of that. So using part of that screen to put it in, then if you provide that to um, the owner of, you know, whoever's collected it, then there's a really good chance that when it's getting exhibited physically, it's going to have your name and, um, you know, whatever other information you want with it, like the title or collection name, et cetera. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so to expand on what Alpha's talking about, he's talking about the aspect ratio, basically. And uh, basically, all TV displays are 16 by 9, pretty much, um, aspect ratio. Um, so I've, I've anticipated that a bit. So some of my, what I do is some of my NFTs, I actually write in the description. If I've cropped it myself originally to 16 by 9, I actually put that in the description and say suitable for TV displays. And I actually put that in the description. Um, that's one way around it. But, uh, but of course, not all images that you create suit a 16 by 9 crop which brings in what Alpha's just suggested, which is, well, in that case, if you want to keep the original aspect ratio, but know that it's not going to fit natively in a 16 by 9 display, you go into Photoshop and you create, as you said, maybe um, a downsized version that fits within the screen. And to balance it out, you put something around it, a border or a description or name or whatever it is that you want. But actually, it's part of my workflow. Um, and in something like Lightroom, you can obviously switch between native and 16 by nine and all different aspect ratios. I actually always create a duplicate alongside um, in my editing workflow. And I always check to see if it fits 16 by nine or if it suits 16 by nine crop um, alongside and then make a decision finally how to export it that way. But, um, but yeah, you know, as we're moving into a more digital world where even in, in real life galleries, it's not necessarily going to be in print form. It's going to be on a digital display. That's definitely a, a key consideration that I think all artists should be thinking about in their workflow. But you no, know, one of the thumb rules in real life photography is to keep aspect ratio. You know, whatever we shoot, that is considered the most like a golden standard. You know, wherever you exhibit across the world in print, it's always gonna be the perfect aspect ratio as shot by the camera. So even when you're cropping, we always try to lock it up and crop it according to the aspect ratio. Because that's generally the most well accepted, whether it's a magazine or a real life exhibition. It's always been that aspect ratio, which is the original one, which comes to the camera. But if, of course, TVs have a different aspect ratio, and if we 
start altering our images as per that. Even we have to start shooting that way. We have to think that way that I'm going to crop it in 16 is to 9, which is not mostly the common aspect ratio. Even Instagram, for instance, if you go vertical, it's totally a different aspect ratio. Again, you have to think of how you post on Instagram. We adapted to that. So this digital thing, again, we have to look at it in a different perspective now. Or other ways, like Alpha said, you know, if there's space left, there could be a QR code to the collection. There could be name. There could be logo of the company, like Meta Jungle, for instance, or any of those things could be fit into that extra area. But yeah, most often photographers, at least the most uh, serious ones, would always crop it according to the aspect ratio of the camera, which is generally well accepted across all platforms in real life. Yeah, or at so least keep it a consistent. tricky situation. Yeah, but at least keep it consistent, right? So the thing is, a lot of full frame cameras are three by two, <laughs> right? So um, that's actually not particularly standard. Um, you know, seven by five, maybe eight by ten, five by four. Um, but keep it consistent. So I've had discussions with some photographers about this who say, "Oh, well, you should just be able to freeform crop." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, you could be doing oh, yourself a problem later on. Yeah, you're giving yourself problems later on potentially for when it comes to display." Yeah, freeform. Freeform goes nowhere, you know. In the long run, it's just not the right way to do it. Yeah, 100%. Agree yeah. with that. I learned hard way. Uh, first thing, GM, everybody. Uh, I used to do freeform, but then uh, one of my friends, like beginning of when I was starting, uh, uh, when I start learning about photography, and I just crop it the way I want it. And then few friends, like I had a, one of the friends, he worked, uh, he used to work in a B&H photo and he saw a picture. He said, I like your pictures, but your crop is always weird. And uh, and then he explained what is the crop and all the stuff. Then I figured it out. So now I crop it always either two by three or ex by basically expect ratio. So, yeah, it's a it's a good way to crop uh, cropping a regular format instead of just free format. Yeah, I mean, even we have these real-life exhibitions where every year we take images from photographers. It's cropped all over the place. Then we have to recrop them according to the aspect ratio so that we can fit into the exhibition. Otherwise, it's never going to fit the frames. So I think uh, this is a common practice. And now when it comes to digital, we have an issue there. And it will create that extra space, empty space in a TV screen. But again, we can't, you know, I don't, I don't know how to go about this. You know, like we have to crop in 16 to 9 if it has to fit a TV, but that doesn't suit all our platforms. You know, it just doesn't match with other places that we do. So now it's, should we mint 16 to 9? That's the big problem we face now if this is the way we have to think. Please, Mike, go ahead. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, I yeah, I, I, I agree. There's, you know, like I... <laughs> How I take the photograph is kind of like how I how I want it to be seen. I'm, I mean, I'm a little nitpicky with the fact that like I, I I don't really like cropping much at all. But if I do crop, I, I keep it locked on um, on Lightroom. I use the lock feature so that if I am cropping to move a bit in on an image that I've created, right that that it's keeping the same exact aspect ratio it's just bringing me closer and that's it but i mean i've been pretty picky about this for like a really long time because in school we we had a lot of exhibitions too right and it just it looks really clean and professional when a when a photographer um 
you know, uh, displays their work as how the camera's aspect ratio was uh, was meant to be shown, right? Because it 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 shows a, a level of skill and a level of understanding that you've uh, developed in a, a keen eye for how that camera shoots, and you're capturing the moment and how you how you've seen it, right? And while I say that, I mean there at the same time, there's no rules. Like if you wanna if you wanna cut triangles out of the images that you have and um you know make collages and stuff then do that too you know be experimental as well but be consistent then at least right like there's collections that i won't buy from that you know have like seven different aspect ratios in the collection and it's just sort of a turnoff to me it feels a bit immature it feels a bit amateur in 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 some regard that if you had to make this many uh cropped custom cropped uh, ratios then you know are are, is it are, are you more of a photographer or are you more of uh someone who um, just edits in to try to find something after the fact. I mean, there's something beautiful about capturing it in the moment, right? Rather than making all of these aspect ratios to fit something that maybe you didn't weren't really intending on on doing. But there are no rules. The one there is one key exception. I would say is square, <laughs> right? Square is very popular for exhibitions. A lot of purist artists like like to display their photography in square format, which is obviously one by one. And you can't really shoot that. So cropping to square, I'd say, is the well, one. Well, you can shoot it. You can shoot it. I used to shoot square on a Hasselblad 501CM film camera. There, you look down into it and it's like looking into this beautiful world that's square. And um, that's, you know, like, I think when Instagram came around, they they were trying to kind of mimic in the beginning, like with all those filters and stuff like that, what actual film photography was. And I think they took the square from the Hasselblad, uh, Hasselblad system. So there is a system that does shoot it. Yeah, but it's, it's niche. <laughs> oh yeah. It's very niche. You know, I did. And, you know, I sold my Hasselblad a, a long time ago. It's just because uh, it's so expensive. Like each photograph is probably $3 after I buy the film. Um, you know, after I buy the film, after I uh, develop the film and then um, rent a Hasselblad scanner to scan high res digital files. And then I have to, they have to pay to rent that, you know, by that point, every photograph is about $3. And while I was shooting events, I just obviously could not afford that. But actually, on that point of Square, like to Alpha's point about the displays, Square is probably quite helpful. Square gives you flexibility to put multiple Square images on a 16 by 9 display. Um, makes it easier to arrange, just a thought, Alpha. Yeah, I just pinned up a post, you know, which was actually in a digital exhibition in Dubai, in a big exhibition. So where I had to present my images, and most of them are landscapes, and some of them are portraits. There will be that dead space at the end of the TV screen. So again, I had to just utilize that space and put a portrait, you know, in vertical format. I wrote portraits, use the word to fill the space and somehow made it work because TV screens are such. Uh, so I totally get what Alpha is saying. But unfortunately, most of us shoot aspect ratio and that will leave a dead space in the TV. Yeah, so um, it's it's interesting to me because i think if we put 100 photographers into a room and we ask them about how they crop or and they would probably all say well yeah i I shoot aspect ratio and so but i'm telling you i just put several hundred 
photos on a wall and fit them to a TV screen and none of them matched up. I mean, some of them did, but there's a huge amount of those photographs that are cropped differently and they're different sizes. And so it looks crazy on a wall because none of them fit exact same type TV screens that are sitting next to each other. They're all different. When you, when you change the width to fit the TV screen, the length of them, none of them match up. And so it's, it's absolutely crazy. It's a weird effect. And so it, it does not look as good as it could aesthetically in a physical display. And so um, I think if a, if you're conscious of that and the, the simple solution is just to do a crop for a physical display, offer it um, as some type of a bonus, either send it out to the collector after they've bought, um, mention it in your thing that you're going to provide that because everything's based off of usage, how things are used and then what demand will be. And right now we're seeing a lot of physical display of digital art and it's being displayed on TVs, yet none of it is made to, to display on TVs. And so you can get ahead of the curve by just doing some of this uh, right now to where you have it available for digital display. And people that are displaying it physically are probably going to gravitate towards it because once you've done this, um, you're going to be conscious of it because I can promise you from now on in the future, I will always be conscious of it. Um, in fact, I may even sometimes stick it into a, a display prior to buying it. If it's something that I know I'm buying for um, a, a physical to exhibit physic, you know, in the physical form, but this is something that's becoming more and more. There's, there's groups, there's groups right now that are really pushing this because this is how the most, the, the most likely way that we're going to get, um, you know, mass acceptance of Web3 and NFTs in the physical art world is to display this physically within museums, etc. And so um, you have an advantage of being able to get ahead of that curve by providing something that's actually displayable on the screens that are going to be used for that. So it's just something to to be aware of, you don't have to, you don't really have to do anything. There's no rules, of course. And it's very obvious there's no rules when you go and you start trying to, um, when you're trying to build out an exhibit and you see there's definitely no rules. There's every shape and size you can imagine um, right now that's being um, offered and then, you know, purchased and collected on the blockchain, which is great. What I'm saying is if you're conscious of that, you can get ahead of it. And, and my guess is I don't have any connections, you know, in the R&D department of any major camera companies. But my guess is that right now they're working on this because they have to be very aware of how um, these are being used and that people are shooting digital right now um, in a whole new market in this NFT world and that those are then being displayed on TVs. I'm sure they're very conscious of that. And I've got a feeling you'll probably see some cameras coming out that are made specifically for that. Um, you know, well, that's how the, that's how innovation happens. The solution's already kind of there because if you're shooting video, that's already in 16 by nine native format. And what's happening with video, the way video's going is the quality of video is getting to the point where you can actually pull stills off the video 
which are in that 16 by 9 format, obviously because it was shot as video, not as stills. And the quality is kind of getting good enough that it's you can get away with it, certainly on a digital display, as a high-resolution still. So actually, that's that's the way the market's going. I doubt very much Alpha. I'd be surprised if the stills um, photography side of it is going to start pushing out sensors that are 16 by 9 for stills only. I think they're taking the approach of um, getting high-quality video that's already in 16 by 9 format, where you can grab a still from that um, from from the moving picture. I think that's where the text going. Well, and interestingly enough, to Alpha's point, um, I listened to a podcast recently that one of the collectors for Cosmo Badisi was actually being interviewed, and um, you know, they're a huge part of what they're doing with all of with the collection that they've been building for the last year is to start displaying it in physical galleries, and the amount of time that was given to talking about this exact topic of like finding finding a screen that they can display the work on so it actually looks good was I was surprised at the time of listening to the podcast of the amount of time that was spent talking about that and the challenge that it's been for for their team um, and it was just reiterated as we were working on this project it really just drove home like oh yes I totally understand you know the struggles that they've had because um, it is it is a challenge so I know that other other teams that are working on presenting work and being able to display them in fine art gallery settings are having the same struggles so I think it is it's good information for sure to be thinking about the process and um, obviously um, you know being aware of, of the direction that we're that that the nft space is moving in I know it moves so quickly but you know just having the awareness that um, we're there those struggles are happening and technology may go ahead and catch up with it but in this immediate time you know showing pieces to the outside world is how we are going to onboard more people and have that appreciation and so being able to get through this part before the technology catches up is is I think really important to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, I know, I do know for a fact that there's all kinds of things being developed right now, um, including like apps on your TV that'll rotate um, your NFT. You actually connect your wallet and your TV will show your art um, all the time whenever you're not using it as a TV. And um, as that becomes more and more used and people like kind of buy into that ideology, and they've got their TVs and their house on with their uh, their art collection displaying in some type of rotation. They're going to be very, very conscious of the pieces that display um, that look really odd on that TV. And um, you'll, I mean, it, you you can't not be when you see it. It's just like, oh, that looks really weird. And so, um, yeah, I'm just throwing it out there, just something to be aware of. Uh, there are definitely because, some. I think it's the future. They, there are definitely some images that do not suit 16 by 9, right? So even if you wanted to crop it to 16 by 9, you'd be like, hmm, it just doesn't work. Even if it's a great photo, to make it fit the screen, that's problematic. And I can't see the screen manufacturers going the other way and saying, okay, we're going to redesign screens to fit 3 by 2 or, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it is a challenge and it's something worth considering. But there's some images, some images that just would just would never work in that aspect ratio and you just have to accept that. Yeah, I 100% agree. 
And so there definitely are images that would not work in that aspect ratio. And so uh, they probably won't be displayed. What, what I'm saying is they don't work. They probably won't be displayed in a physical setting, which is absolutely fine. Um, just need to be aware of that because if you want your pieces displayed in a physical setting, they're going to have to be able to be displayable. And, um, but yeah, not everything would work and not everything's going to be uniform and perfect for it, but it's something just to be definitely aware of. I'm not trying to uh, change the way photography works. I'm just saying, Hey, there's a whole new thing, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no one was worried about how a photograph displayed on their TV. Well, now we have a whole new web three and you have a couple options for displaying what you've collected. You can build a virtual gallery and in a virtual gallery, it's incredible. Nothing. It doesn't matter what size it is. Um, it's going to display beautifully so you can stretch it out. You can put it wherever you want in a virtual world. There are no rules and that's great. But there's also a physical side to it where people are doing physical display of these this art. And so um, if you want your, your artwork to be in those physical displays, which some of those physical displays are going to be really important because the institutions are starting to do this, like MoMA right now, they're, they're becoming very, um, very active in this, this field then you've got to be conscious of it or you, you can be con you don't have to be, but you should be conscious of it because if your stuff doesn't look right on a screen, it's probably not going to be displayed in a screen, especially in some kind of institution. Um, so it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the best thing uh, that we can do right now is, is like, let's say it's on open sea, just like you said, you know, provide unlockable content. So if you want to custom crop your stuff, you know, do that, um, but provide some unlockable uh, stuff where, um, you know, a, a, a commonly used aspect ratio um, works or is available or, you know, keep in, keep in touch with those collectors if it's on a platform where you can't provide unlockable um, and see if they see if they want want that and explain to them that if it's displayed in a gallery, um, here are some you know, different crops that you might be interested in, in using. So I think that's probably the, the best way to go about it uh, right now. And so but, uh, it is an important point. You know, when I was at, when I was at Super Chief Gallery, it was displayed in the Super Chief Gallery. They had to have three different screens. Um, there was one for verticals, one for horizontal, and there was one for square. And, um, you know, had I known that, you know, only like 10 or so people would submit square, um, I probably would have cropped my image to be square because I shared a screen with, um, you know, uh, a thousand people or something instead, not a thousand. I shared a screen with, with a, you know, probably uh, 90 or 100 or something people instead of a, a screen with, with, four, with, with five or six that were on, on, on square. And so those images kept repeating in the gallery uh, over and over again. So it's, it's, it is something to think about to have, um, to have multiple little crops that you can give with uh, with your image to the collector that they could they could use you might be in more galleries well you might but be displayed you know, more when you look at macbook screens for instance uh, we all use our own images on macbook uh, screen you know wallpaper it doesn't fit because our aspect ratio is different macbook screen is a different orientation so in that case we just say fit to screen and it'll just fit itself it will not stretch the image it will not distort the image it'll just somehow fit the image into this whole screen 
image looks exactly the same. A little bit of uh, things may get cropped here and there, but still overall it just fills the screen. Maybe that could be another easy way to do it, you know, just taking the chance to fill the screen without distorting the image. We'd love to hear what Sarah say. I know she has her hand up. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Emma. <clears throat> You well, didn't interrupt me. That's what I was going to say. So thank you, Sarah. So, sorry, Emma. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no, I just wanted, I mean, I'm just going to add what everybody else has said. I just wanted to back what Emma and Alpha were saying. I think they're just saying, like, be aware of where it's headed. And it's so true. And we've already seen this. Like, I know it's social media and it's different, but we have already seen the shift with photography and how we have had to maybe photograph a little bit differently to fit the mold, to fit the four by five crop. And now we're seeing it with video as well, especially remember that short form video we talked about earlier. So on Reels, on TikTok, I, every image that I put in a video, I'm having to crop to 16 by nine. So we can already see that this shift is happening. And of course, not every image looks good as a 16. 16 by 9 crop but I think as a photographer if you want to stay relevant especially with where we're going in the future it just keep that in mind about cropping and note that you already have been doing this to fit the molds of social media because they also change that on so I think it's just about being really adaptable with your photography and that you will be able to follow that but yes with the 16 by 9 crop is becoming more and more relevant I notice especially with video and now we can see this with galleries as well uh, and i just ask personally like if i know it's going to be displayed like if i'm not sure where how it's going to be displayed i just ask the curator like you know what are the dimensions you need for this image rather than just try and guess in advance that they'll cover all the bases because it's a lot of extra work to do that for every photo just on a case-by-case -case basis just having the awareness as everyone's been saying here uh, moving forwards there's a high probability higher probability over time that it's going to be needed for these 16 by 9 or 9 by 16 displays. So always keep that in the back of your mind and, you know, be prepared to provide what the gallery needs, you know, on request. I think that that is um, a good suggestion for sure. And I definitely wanted to get to Michael too and say welcome and hello, and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Hi, Emma. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, cropping. Wow. It sounds, Alpha, like you're in a bit of a pickle because you've just been given one screen. And I think maybe in a more, um, I don't know, a more permanent gallery, they might have this variety that, that's, that, that Mike said, like a square um, and then a 16 by 9. But, you know, TVs used to be a funny... I can't remember what TVs used to be. Was it like a 4.3 or, or something? Four, yeah, and, that, and now we've got 16 by 9. And it's like if you if you carry on this logic of just thinking everything's going to be sixty by nine, I'm not sure because do you remember in Total Recall, like the first the first version, the whole wall was the screen, so it's really hard to predict where we're going. And you've got like fold out phones now, which kind of break that that you know idea of like it's going to be sixteen by nine. Very hard, very hard to predict. So yeah, I can't. And then you've got VR as well which just throws, you know, it's it's not a conversation really for, for VR. So very difficult alpha. Yeah, I imagine some of them look like trash and um, and that's awful. I, I like what Saboda done there by putting two side by side and just filling up the rest with, with something. But it, it kind of like 
need uh, choreographing or something like you have a sound engineer you might need like a visual engineer to to kind of marry up eight screens so they kind of just i don't know they kind of just about work but yeah i don't envy you um especially if the if they're all fixed in a certain uh you know if they're all landscape or if they're all or portrait so yeah um i don't know what the answer is but um looking forward to those total recall screens yeah, I do think we'll get to the point where that changes. But go ahead, Alpha. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, the layouts. There's four landscape, and there's three or four portraits, and there's three um, landscape on top. There's um, a the middle landscape has a, a exact duplicate of it below, and then it's um, almost like a um, inverted V because you've got two portraits on the outside anchoring that are a little wider than the top three uh, pieces. And then there's a smaller uh, screens between those and the middle landscape. So it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting layout, but there's not anything I can do about the layout because it's not my gallery and it's in Venice. So I have to work with what um, they've given us. The problem is if I had one screen, it'd be easy it wouldn't really matter um it's when you have eight screens and you've got to match them up to where uh the pieces aesthetically look good together and for them to look good aesthetically the sizes have to be um you know somewhat similar if you especially when you have um the portraits and you have them all weird sizes by each other it just looks really weird with that negative space so that is the problem um, and again, yeah, I'm not saying to, I'm definitely not saying that you should, um, change your crop to a 16 by nine for all of your work, but I am telling you that there's going to be some of your work that may be displayed physic in physical galleries or in some other physical way, even in people's homes. And if you care about how your work is cropped for those then you could do that crop and provide it and it probably um, at least appear the way you want it to appear when it is displayed physically, whether it's in somebody's home or it's in a museum. How, how big are the displays um, that you're working with alpha out of interest, like the total size of the display? Could you just give me some in, like stats on the inches? Because I, what I was thinking is like, you talked about portrait, like, could you put some horizontals on the portrait if the if the overall size of the screen was big enough to make the horizontals look like a decent size? Could you actually stack um, horizontals in a on a vertical display? If you see what I mean, like one on top of the other, one under the um, other. Yeah, you could. And there's some places where I'm actually using square crops to um, in the. I'm using square crops in the uh, landscape. Uh, sitting side by side on a single screen they're all um 55 inch tvs basically and then there's a couple that are like 40 something inch that are smaller mm, okay i'll just do some quick maths but that's so you'd still have th uh, about 30 something inches on the on the vertical side so 55 across and then with that whatever that is by nine i don't know off the top of my head <laughs> just work it out I'm just trying to visualize how how big it would look if you'd kind of put a put a horizontal on a vertical. <laughs> and um, 
while Joseph is working on his equations, <laughs> we'll go ahead and say hello to Rami and um, invite you to the stage. Um, you doing okay today? Hi, hi, everyone. Yes, I'm. I'm feeling better. Thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, I was listening to this very interesting conversation, and uh, I do have a TV at home that displays my uh, NFT and any any JPEG I would like, and it's sixteen by nine. As Alpha was saying, it's a, it's a bit annoying sometimes when you put another picture. Uh, that is a different ratio, so I always have to recrop it, and even I have to save it by a specific number of pixels to be able to display it. So not only it has to be 16 by 9, but it has to be 4K. If you put it anything above 4K, it might not display it. But the point I wanted to make is not that, actually. Uh, the TV also has an option to create a frame to the picture, and you can customize the frame. Now, as of the moment, this is very strict and very specific, but I imagine like the frame, it looks, it looks something like a 3D kind of frame where you can change the style and everything. So I imagine the pictures eventually, if it's a different ratio, you might be able to choose a frame, although it's a 16 by nine, but a framing that will make the picture look good, even though it's a square, for example, or a different format. So I see this technology coming in uh, it does make sense to me that uh, eventually these kind of um, products will have flexibility. That's, that's all I wanted to say about the subject. Yeah, and on that subject of resolution, I guess, Alpha, you'd probably also need want to be aware of the native resolution of the images that you have. There could be a huge variety, right? Some might natively only be the equivalent of 1080 and you're putting on a 4K screen. Some might be a lot more than 4K in resolution, you, you might not want to put that one next to one that's like lower res. Um, that might not, you know, there may be a perceived quality difference potentially within the same screen. Yeah, I um, I experienced that because last night I actually was putting um, some of the final choices. I was looking at them on an eighty-eight inch TV, and it was very interesting um some of the uh some of the images just did not yeah. have the resolution to hold up pixelation you'd have seen pixelation right yeah absolutely but then there were others that i could actually put them on an 88 inch tv and i could zoom in and like really get into intimate like almost or you couldn't see it with your naked eye just looking at the image and you could see um, some interesting things in some of the photos, some of the really busy photos. So um, that was very interesting to me and uh, it was very, it stood out and there were some, some images I had to uh, cut from it because they just didn't have good enough resolution. You know, one of my collectors, Shanof, he, he has about 10 pieces from me. He is very particular about this resolution because he's also a photographer. So every time he collects, he immediately sends me a message, send me a high resolution through WeTransfer. So he collects all from every piece that he collects. He uh, asks for the high resolution so that he can display it beautifully in his house. So I think this is something we all need to do, you know, ask the collectors if they need the higher resolution. Because if you go by OpenSea, I'm sure it's, it's nothing in those, in those images. You know, it just kills the images. Yeah, resolution does matter. You know, people say, oh, resolution doesn't matter. It depends how far away. Yeah, I mean, it does. 
but in the gallery space resolution will matter like if you're talking about a billboard you can get away with like very low megapixels because you're standing so far away from it right it's that classic sort of argument um but if you know in ex exhibition space you know the kind of distance that your view the viewing audience are going to be maximum away from the, the the screen is kind of limited right so once you know that you can kind of you can make some curating decisions on the resolution the minimum resolution you'd accept for certain images to go into that particular display to to avoid that problem of, of you know perceived pixelation and quality differences Some good points for sure. And Michael, if you would like to comment, you're welcome to. Oh, yeah. So Emma, at the end of that um, Medici podcast, what was their sort of thinking on it? Are they waiting for the manufacturers or? Yeah, it sounded like they were talking about it for a while. Um, interestingly enough, they've actually been um, working with a manufacturer to develop TVs um, that are going to, you know, they've recognized this as something that, will probably be something coming for the future and so have been a little more involved on the manufacturing side it sounded like um, but really it is a challenge because you know they're renting space in different places and a lot of these galleries they're using you know they don't get to just come in all the time and put up what they want to put up you know you're you're working within confines of what gallery spaces already have and what you know what will be available um, but they for them they do sound like they are trying to figure this out but the technology is is just not really available yet so figuring out how to um, kind of bridge the gap because they have plans in place to go ahead and start displaying this artwork um, and so it's kind of like do we hold off on the time it will take to develop the technology or do we go ahead and start um, you know with what we have available and, and kind of modify and they've kind of I, it sounded like gone with the second um, option to go ahead and follow through but um, you know I think it's just one of those times where we're able to kind of be aware and you know work together on figuring out a solution um, but that was that would sound like where they were kind of at at that point in time um, but Michael you're welcome to go ahead and then we'll go yeah. to Parallax. Thanks, Emma. Yeah, I yeah, I think if you're going to bet on one ratio at the moment, you probably would bet on 16 by 9. So it's, it, it might not be a bad idea if you're able to to get that second crop somewhere, maybe in a hidden hidden file or something like that. Um, great space. Really liked what Sarah was saying about newsletters and not relying on, on Twitter too much. And um, yeah, thanks for that, Sarah. And thanks for the space. I'm going to jump down because I've got pizza. Um, so thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Always great to have you join us, Michael. And I know, yeah, it's many hours later there. So um, enjoy your dinner. But thank you for joining us. <laughs> and um, Parallax, you are welcome to go ahead. By the way, I did my maths and it was 30, just under 31 inches. It was a good guess for the <laughs> orientation. So you've got 30, 31 inches to work with on the effective long side alpha is that too small um no it's not i don't think it's um yeah so i'd have to i would have to do it on the opposite screens from each other so it would be the anchor screens on the bottom on the two corners so i would just have to use two of them because i think it would look odd to do it on one and not do it on the other so but yeah i think it's actually something that can be done 
yeah well that could be could be a solution yeah um did you say sorry did you say you also had an 88 in, or you just you'd seen them on an 88 inch screen your your maximum you're working with is 55 on the long side right yeah i don't have a 55 inch tv myself so i had to use what i have which is an 88 so um that's what i was looking at them with yeah okay just just to be clear i was working basing that on your 55 long side so your short side would be just under 31 and that would become your long side if you were using the portrait version yeah and i just have to uh I need to find a TV that size so I can look and see what it actually looks at physically, like when you're standing there in front of it, if it's a, uh, if it has enough presence, I guess. Yeah, that's what, that's, yeah, that's what I was getting at really. Because again, it would depend on the, you know, the, the physical space that you're in. I don't, where did you say it was going? Venice. <laughs> yeah, it's in the super chief uh, space in Venice. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you, you would just want to, find out kind of the dimensions of the room and the wall space and all the rest of it um, to figure out that viewing experience for sure. Um, yeah, so I wanted to jump in right quick and just kind of like ask the question of if you're able to submit video and if you can, then, you know, for the time being with what you have and what you originally wanted to display, then you could resolve it via a slideshow, probably through Premiere Pro, whatever software you're comfortable with or that somebody you would have use and then for the difference between the actual images and their aspect ratios like when that difference occurs that's where you could kind of do you could key in zooming in and then it zooms out to expand and then as it starts to kind of like conflict with the other images is where you could transition into the next image And thank you for that suggestion. Sorry, I was getting some feedback there. Thank you for that suggestion for sure. And I know um, one of the things that we've wanted to be mindful of is just being um, really respectful of the um, original original artwork and being very careful about cropping things or modifying in those in those ways. But um, and also, you know. I think several of the artists, you know, I know in the room, I know with Sarah and Mike and, um, you know, have had the opportunity to be displayed at um, Super Chief, you know, at, at New York, um, at NFT NYC. And also there'll be those opportunities, I'm sure, at other NFT events. And we are not always going to have the ability to control what screens, you know, are there in the space or how they're going to be displayed. So just being mindful of that opportunity to be ahead of the game and, and have versions possibly available um, to submit or being mindful of steps we can take initially to be able to have our work displayed as best as it possibly can, or to be, to hold that integrity. Um, because, you know, we don't, there's, there's going to be those limitations at this point. Um, and so just, I think that was Alpha's intent of mentioning today was just that opportunity to kind of have it um, top of mind that as we're having more and more opportunities to have work submitted and displayed in different physical spaces that that can be something that everyone is kind of dealing with is how to overcome this and, and also 
you know, not have to crop an image or take the, take that on as, um, you know, as an outside person, you know, cropping artwork or changing the, um, aspect ratio of the artwork, but displaying it in its best possible way. Um, so just kind of sharing that experience and, and having that food for thought for moving forward, um, and being prepared for, for those opportunities. Cause I know, you know, hearing feedback from NFT NYC, there was different things that I think everybody learned in the process about, you know, having names displayed, how they're displayed. Um, like Mike mentioned, you know, the opportunity depending on the size as to how other, you know, some work was shown more than others. So just thinking about that and that process of, um, you know, just another step I know in the whole um, NFT world and how we're moving forward from it being something that's viewed online and then also viewed in the physical space, but being able to, to think about those things. And I mean, for, you know, to Mike, Mike earlier was talking about, um, you know, taking pride in his composition and not wanting to crop too much. And I'd say the same. And I think any photographer or even, or any creator worth their salt will tell you that they take, should take a lot of pride in nailing their composition. So to then after the fact, have their work cropped either without their knowledge or, you know, forcibly to fit a certain display is a little bit upsetting to a lot of <laughs> creators because of all the work they put in in the first place to like nail that composition. Very much, you know, and exactly to that point, you know, to be aware of the fact that there is a reason that the ratio, you know, the piece of art is the way that it is in its full content. Um, and so being mindful to not modify that, you know, as just to fit a screen, um, but, you know, ways in which that artwork could be formatted. And it could even be with having, you know, a background or something, but letting the artist make the decision of a um, a format or a version that could be um, attractively displayed on a screen that size, um, you know, just, just putting that thought in initially um, and having that, even as someone collects, you could send a message and say, you know, really appreciate it. If you would like a format that would fit well on a screen size of this aspect ratio, I do have a version I can send you, you know, just being aware that, you know, you can, you know, you may still have that opportunity to have control over how the image is presented. Um, and also, you know, as the collector, what's happening after it's been collected and when it has the opportunity to be displayed, some considerations to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, the other way to do it is, you know, how you would do in an exhibition as well is you put um, a map border around the photo to fit a certain frame, right? So you have the photo and then you'll have a white border around it, typically, you know, made of a acid-free paper and that may have a weighting, right? So that it might be, I don't know, call it five millimeters top, left and right, but you might have eight millimeters at the bottom because you want to put a signature at the bottom. So it's weighted, uh, you know, a bit more to the bottom and not to the top and sides. So it's just variations on a theme of that that you could do to help get around the problem of um, awkward aspect ratios when putting them side by side, maybe. And then you can, you can make the overall frame standard even if the image is within that frame and not standard. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, you know, giving artists the ability to be creative with that and to also want to represent their artwork in the best possible way is, you know, the the purpose of, of bringing up the topic. And I think it is something that is helpful to consider, um, you know, because 
I think it is going to be more and more prevalent for work to be shown on a screen, even if, even if it's in, um, you know, a collector's personal space, because um, that's something that we want to do is be able to enjoy um, the artwork and have it visible and, and just, you know, giving that feedback to be able to, um, you know, I don't know that it's going to happen anytime soon where just our general collectors are going to have special screens in their homes. So being able to kind of think about that as a way in which we can present um, a version that could be something that looks really great in, in the common um, opportunity of displaying it. So I know it's another, definitely another topic, but it's been an interesting process. And as work is being curated, I think it's something that's going to be coming up more and more. Because um, obviously we've been talking about online spaces and online galleries, but also, you know, as, as our two worlds morph, our physical world and our digital world, um, we're going to, you know, see these, these opportunities to make adjustments, like Sarah said, just make adjustments and, um, ways in which I think, you know, giving the artists the opportunity to decide how they want their work to be viewed and giving that opportunity to modify, I think is, you know, just out of respect and appreciation. Um, and also being aware that when you're, you have the opportunity to display in a physical space, um, I think for me, it kind of brought up the point of having the chance to have different um, questions, you know, just like you had mentioned, Joseph, like, what is the aspect ratio? Where is this, you know, what do you need something, you know, for me that could help it look even better, you know, instead of just, I think before the assumption of like, okay, this is going to fit in exactly where we want to display it. And it's going to look the same, you know, when we're seeing it, you know, in a marketplace and to when we see it on a digital screen um, in, in a physical space. So that, that understanding that there is going to be those opportunities to adjust as we are moving forward, just to make sure that the work is looks the best that it possibly can. And the artistic vision is, is preserved. Meanwhile, I just sent every picture alpha has collected from me in high resolution to you alpha and including 16 to nine crop. So I'm sorted. Thanks, Abud. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. Very good, Sabod. Very good. Well, and, you know, just also those chances of, of being, you know, being prepared. And I think, you know, the world, the space moves so quickly um, that it's great to have those opportunities to just to be aware. So um, and also can also have the chance to put your personal signature on, you know, that uh, that space as well. And that that particular version of the artwork, it does give the opportunity to um, for an, an artist to be recognizable in that respect as well. So just maybe something standard that you do or something that you show that that can be recognized as artwork is being shown in the physical space. And Kirit, I know you have your hand up, so you are welcome to comment if you would like. Uh, just one is a question, simple question. Uh, so the TV screens are 16 by 9 is the proper way to crop, right? I just wanted to know because uh, Subodhbhai said it's 16 by 9. So I should pay attention to more in the future for 16 by 9 on the, just for collection on putting a, like, a, like Alpha and everybody else said it, uh, um, like make it unlockable, countable, or just give them a link uh, 
to download that uh, extra folder just for uh, those pictures for a screen or other uh, monitors or whatever you want to show up in uh, uh, there uh, in as a digital uh, how do you say uh, uh, display sorry I, I'm uh, turning a blank but uh yeah, that's why I wanted to ask, like, uh, 16 by 9 is a good ratio, right? 16 by 9 is the ratio for the vast majority of TV displays, if not all these days. Not 100% sure that it's 100%, but it's definitely the vast majority. Yeah, my suggestion is exactly what you said. So you could actually do a, um unlockable file for when someone collects that has that in it and of course you would want to put in your description that there's a um the unlockable file contains a high definition um uh, image that's suitable for display on 16.9 and or you could actually do um what Sabo did just now you could just you could put it in your description though see what i'm saying is that there's going to be people that are going to become more and more conscious of this as collectors, they're going to um, be thinking about it and they're going to, um, that means that they might be even looking for that. And I foresee that happening in the future. And for myself, it'll be something that's going to be more important, especially if I continue to pay to do exhibits um, where I'm exhibiting artists' work so that I'm trying to um, encourage people that are in the traditional art world to come look at um, the uh, Web3. And so we are paying money to do an exhibit and we may continue to do that. We've talked about it, something that uh, I think is really good for the space overall. Um, but if I continue to do that, I will be very conscious of this going forward in the future um, because it's a lot of work to do and it costs a lot of money. And the idea is to uh, show the traditional art world, you know, what's possible um, and what they can come in and see and find and collect in Web3 to hopefully onboard more people into this as collectors. But at the same time, um, if you're doing this and you're displaying this, um, you're going to be more and more conscious of whether how things look on that display. And again, I do not want to crop somebody's work. I don't want to go in and crop your work to fit into a um, 16 by nine display. And I don't like letting the, the, the software just decide how it gets cropped. So I don't like doing a fit to screen because I think it changes the art. Um, I could be wrong about that, but that's how I feel. And when I've seen digital displays, generally it's just cropped by the software to fit the screen. Um, which I don't know that that's what the artist's intent is. So as an artist, you have the ability to be conscious of it if it matters to you. Um, I think you have the ability to use it in your marketing if it's something that you're going to do, because I think there's some people that it'll matter to and um, it might appeal to them. And so it might actually help you get additional sales or um, make what you're doing stand out to people that are collecting in this world. Um, but no rules, obviously. Um, you don't have to do it. It's just something that you could be aware of because um, I can see it coming in the future. And um, for me, the future is right now. I have actually thought of doing just an exclusive 16 by 9 collection <laughs> to deal with this problem. 
I think that uh, that's a brilliant idea and that there will be people that would be excited about that because if you had a 16 by nine um, collection, you have pieces that really appeal to people. Um, the idea of them being able to use those as almost like screensavers on their TVs, et cetera. I think there's going to be some massive appeal to that. Yeah. And that's the reason because of the multiple applications that that it's almost like an inbuilt value add by having it in that crop. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's like, uh, I do use 16 by nine for story of, uh, Instagram to make it. So yeah, I have a folder of 16 by nine, but I did not know all this, uh, other stuff. So yeah, thanks for the alpha for that. It does beg the question of provenance a little bit of just that sort of sprung to mind. Like if you'd minted an NFT as let's say three by two, but that it could also work very well as 16 by nine. Um, you know, do you, th you know, we've had this discussion before about what defines like a derivative, <laughs> right? Can you see where I'm going with this? It's just a thought bubble. It's just something yeah. that occurred to me. Yeah, I definitely um, would not be uh, a happy collector if somebody uh, released the same image in a different crop or different size as a one of one. If um, I collected it as a one of one, so I've I've been very vocal about that. And um, yeah, it, to me, the in this world, a one of one means it's a one of one of that digital image, and I don't think that sizing it differently uh, changes that. And it seems like there's a consensus to that feeling among collectors at this point and until there's some kind of standard put into place with really clean definitions of this um i can promise that myself if a um, photographer or artist is doing that i will avoid um uh, collecting from them for sure I yeah so just, but just look at it this way from like what i've just said about suppose you wanted to mint a 16 by 9 collection right but actually, the images are potentially better suited in a different <laughs> crop to that. Should you be, should you, should you therefore maybe not ever create a sixteen by nine collection if it's originally a different aspect ratio, and then we all revert to this idea of the, the uh, you know, the hidden folder or the you know, um, you know, downloadable, unlockable content side. Do you, do you see the problem that's that's potentially unfolding here? I mean, I. Yeah, I think it's it's fine to create a sixteen by nine collection, right? I mean, I've been cropping some of my my night cinematic stuff that that sort of has a feel for sixteen by nine recently, but doesn't mean that I'm gonna um, uh, create a collection of sixteen by nine of those and then sell a different collection that's at uh, the original aspect ratio. I think that's I think there's a consensus not just with collectors but artists as well. I mean, I I, I see that to be uh, supremely problematic in the space that people think that it's okay to um, to to sell an image and then to sell another image with a different aspect ratio or just to change it um, uh, to black and white or something like that. Or I, 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 I know other people don't have a problem with this because they're so open to uh, different things like this, but it, it, it really hurts me to see when artists do that. And I, I will I will personally never collect um, if I if I see that people are, are, are doing that, like, well, why aren't why not just create new work then at that point? 
well, why do we have to make multiple renditions of, of, of one work that you that that the artist or the collector who bought it thought was a one of one um, and now it's out in the world again in, in a different color at the same exact image or a different scene uh, slightly turned or something like that. It's just, it, it just does not feel right to me. And I think if something like if you're creating something and then you're, you're going to create something new, if, if it crosses your mind that it doesn't feel right with you in some way, it's probably not going to feel right with other people as well. Yeah, along with that, I would say that if you really wanted to use the same image in different um, different sizes and or different crops, different aspect ratios, whatever, um, I think you could do it as an addition. And so if it was a 20-piece addition and 10 of them were cropped to 16.9 and 10 of them were cropped to 3.2, whatever it is, and you use the properties to show what that crop is or what that aspect ratio is, um, but you show it clearly as an addition of 20 pieces, then there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, the problem is when you're doing a addition of one piece and it's a one of one, and then somebody collects that and then you do that again and it's a different ratio or it's you know, a different crop, but it's the same image and you sell it as a one of one, or even if it's an addition and you sell it out as an addition of 10, and then you do that addition, the same image as an addition of 10 again and a little bit different crop. Um, there's where the problem is. But if you start out and then you got two different crops and you say it's an addition of 20 and there's um, two different sizes of it and you use the very easy to use properties to show what that crop is for the different ones. Um, that's a, that's something that works in web three. And so you could completely do that if you wanted to, and then you could actually have the same image. If you're doing an addition of multi pieces for that, you could have that same image, um, available in different sizes that people might would, you know, it works for their, their, whatever their purpose is better. And so I think that's something that's completely doable. That makes sense. Um, and, and I know we've had some folks come in um, while we're having this conversation. So I just kind of wanted to reset the room and let folks know that we were talking about, you know, curating um, an exhibit and, you know, kind of running into some of the challenges of, you know, having work that is one size, then kind of fitting, you know, physical displays. Um, and also just, you know, the awareness and having the discussion that, you know, there are some opportunities here of maybe being able to be aware that, you know, the, the minted version may not be the best for a physical display. Um, and so some ways in which to, to maybe provide, you know, a, a being aware and be providing a version of the particular artwork that um, the artist has created to be viewed in a 16 by nine or on a, on a regular TV format. So just that, that's kind of, that is where the conversation has um, kind of started from. And, and that's what we were discussing about with the aspect ratio and, and just that awareness there is we're having more opportunities for artwork to be um, shared in physical gallery spaces. Some of those limitations or challenges that um, might be faced um, in ways in which we can be ahead of the game and kind of be able to, um, 
um, head those off and have something to where the our artwork is still displayed um, with the same uh, creation integrity that we provided uh, that we wanted to have. Um, so just just to let the folks know that have joined the room um, to kind of fill them in a little bit on that conversation. But they having the opportunity to have different um, aspect ratios is an interesting way of possibly um, maintaining that integ- that provident integrity, Joseph. So um, it is interesting all the opportunities that we have in the space. Well, and on the difference between the black and white and color version of the same image, I mean, I've had more than one picture that's been awarded in a color competition and in the same image in the black and white competition. I wouldn't want to feel like, it would feel a bit unfair to me if I wasn't able to market both of those as separate images. What do you guys think? Because they were judged separately. One would be as a color version and one as a black and white. I mean, the possibilities are endless then, right? Then I can make a purple one, a green one, a red one, an orange one. You know, I mean, I don't know. That's a tough question. Like, um, does it, I mean, if it feels right with you, I, I guess, but you might turn off some collectors. Um, when you call something a one of one, right? And it's a photograph. To me, that's a one of one slice of time. When you change the color on it, now it's just an, another one of one slice of time with a different color it it's questionable i think that that, that to that point i think it's a little bit unfair personally because you should be entitled to, to describe that as a derivative sure it has to be the, yeah it, i think then the attention and description right like if you, yeah you would if have you, to clarify that absolutely absolutely in the description yeah. Yeah. if you make the first one of one without saying that you're going to have other one of ones that are the same slice uh, in time, uh, just edited it differently, then I think it's unfair to the original collector when those come out. Um, if you're clear about it, um, through it being in the description and by letting the collector know, yeah, then but fine, by all means. Or everything, everything is with intention and ev- everything is um, to be laid out, right? Um, yeah. I think it's a, it's about transparency as much as anything, right? Yeah, I think these are difficult conversations that have to be had, and I think that it, it all usually comes down to like intention and transparency together. Yeah, I would agree um, that the communication is extremely important in that regard. Um, because, you know, what, what people are expecting to receive and what um, you're anticipating with a future use of that image, um, you know, could, could uh, raise some questions depending on how um, you go about. And I, I think also being able to submit for different contests might be a little bit different than being able to, you know, to have work collected as a one of one. Um, so maybe a little bit, you know, the intention of, in the process, there may be a separation of those two things um, being appreciated in a different, um, you know, whether it's com- color and black and white, being appreciated in those a- aspects might be different than um, someone feeling like they have collected a one-of-one one image. Um, but that's that's just my own my own personal opinion. But um, and it is definitely a, a conversation that um, could have a lot of different viewpoints. So, um, but I think as you know making sure that you're being very 
clear with people so they know what they um, what the what the image is and the intention of the image is really important. Well, I think the thing is that like two two versions existed already in the in the outside world, and it's already like existed as say a color and a, as a, a black and white. Um, it's already out there, so it's like. <laughs> Who decides which one is the original? <laughs> Surely the artist ultimately gets to decide. Um, that they're both original. In this, just in this example, I'm just using this as a devil's advocate example. Yeah, again, I, I would say the artist does get to choose, um, but also, you know, their intention of releasing a second image. You know, is it then is a derivative actually a one of one, or is it a Two of one. I mean, really, as a as a derivative, is that you know that would be the conversation as to whether a derivative is actually as standing alone one of one. Um, and so, you know, I think I think you know being upfront with folks that if they are thinking that this is the only digital image of that particular moment in time um, that they're collecting, that that is something that is um, important to communicate, or that there will be other versions of this moment in time. Um, I think I think Mike used the moment in time as kind of a good way of defining that. Um, but you know, just what your intention is. So I think then the artist has to define whether that's an addition, a derivative, or whether it is, um, a one of one. But I think we all know we're early enough right now that there are different, um, interpretations of that particular thing. And one of the, you know, one of the challenges sometimes with, with that, and it leads to, you know, how you want to conduct yourself as an artist and that ability for, you know, that foundation of, of trust. So um, I think, you know, defining that and being very clear is something that the artist has the opportunity to be able to do. Conversations always help on these matters rather than assumptions. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's always, um, you know, you are your brand within this space. So how you go about doing things will have an impact no matter what, um, whether or not some people agree with it and some people don't. Um, yeah, it's back to the transparency and in intention thing. And um, I think I think people can know and, and feel when something doesn't feel right and when it wasn't when it wasn't done and uh, with 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 the, the greatest intention or or wasn't transparent. Um, and I think that can turn off a lot of people. So you have to be very careful about what you do in your brand. And I think, you know, kind of going along with, you know, the topic of, you know, having the opportunity to create a size of the work that might work well on, you know, physical displays. You know, there's a lot of those elements that go into that. And I know there can be a lot of topics to, um, you know, kind of think about and, and process. And yes, the opportunity to have the discussions do help bring those topics to mind um, and be able to kind of prompt that, that thought process. Um, and I think, you know, as we're moving forward, just those 
those times where also, you know, we're able to have conversations and, you know, share thoughts, you know, like Mike saying, well, that's not something that would be right for me, um, is something that is, you know, good to be able to, um, you know, have respectful conversations along those lines to be able to define those um, as we move forward, because it will be something that's important just for the space to continue growing and developing. Um, and and a tiny little topic on um, also related to the, the conversation about the physical displays. I want to tell um, Jeremiah or Paralex um, when he was sharing about this opportunity for a slideshow, I think I may have misinterpreted what he was mentioning. So I just wanted to kind of clarify and mention, um, you know, I appreciate to the, the opportunity to add, you know, some border in uh, Premiere Pro and being able to modify how that's displayed. Um, and that's something definitely to take into consideration. So I'm sorry if I had interpreted that as um, modifying modifying the actual crop of the photo, but instead adding to that. So I appreciated you um, mentioning that. And I just wanted to share that with the room since um, that was shared kind of behind the scenes, but um, definitely a good conversation on, you know, how, how we're navigating in the space for sure. Um, and I guess also with um, physical um, opportunities to display work, that hasn't been something necessarily that um, I'm not sure, but I don't know that, you know, that, that there's been opportunities to really be able to add an additional, you know, um, piece. And so that might be something that, um, you know, I think it just helps being mindful and not necessarily having to create in that particular aspect ratio, but just something as a detail to be mindful that that opportunity um, could present itself. So um, definitely not um, encouraging anybody to have to change that aspect, but um, just being mindful of that for sure. So, but Could I just ask Al for something that's occurred to me about the exhibition side of things? Um, have you thought about making sure the monitors are color corrected? Are they calibrated for correct color? Because that's quite important for true representation of artists, certainly for photographic work. Yeah, honestly, I have no idea because the space is in Venice. So um, I hope that the um, monitors are um, they're currently being used by fellowship. So I hope that they're being um, used to display the art in the right way, but I don't know yet. So I haven't uh, gotten into that level of detail with the space yet. Uh, I'd be asking, certainly if it was me organizing it, that's one of the first things I'd be asking. Um, and in relation to the lighting as well pretty important all those things combined can make quite a big impact on the visual perception of color in a space i mean i could ask but to be honest that's what they do is exhibitions and so and i don't so i try to not talk about things i don't know anything about and so i wouldn't really know the best way from a color standpoint or a lighting standpoint to display in a physical space so if i started asking those questions um i wouldn't really know if the answers they were giving me were the right answers or not um so basically i just have to trust that since that's their business and that's what they're doing and right now they're displaying for you know some of the 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 really some of the the driving forces within the web three space um, that hopefully they're doing it in the right way, but I wouldn't know enough about it to be able to really um, take them to task on 
on the settings on their TVs or the lighting within the space. Yeah, lighting less so. I was thinking more about, I mean, certainly for the TV. If they've used the TVs before for displaying artworks, then I would probably be reliably assured that they've color calibrated them. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure these TVs right now are showing um, Guy Bardeen's and uh, Crudson. So um, I would assume that they're being shown um, the right way with, you know, the proper amount of respect for those artists. But again, I don't know enough to be able to, to make that to make that judgment. No, it sounds fine. I just wasn't sure who was whose displays they were or where they'd come from. Yeah, I think I could probably rest assured it's going to be color calibrated. Good, but I mean, just for like general awareness, I wanted to make that point as well. <laughs> I mean, you can't just take any old TV off the shelf and expect it to be um, color calibrated. They never are. They normally need calibrating um, for like everything. I mean, you do it for computer monitors as well. If you want to like edit properly for print, you need to color calibrate. Um, and same for TVs. So it's an actual process you have to go through with a gadget. So, um, yeah, just to, I just thought I'd make that point. Don't assume your TVs that come off the shelf in your TV department store are, are color calibrated. They're quite often aren't. And, you know, I think, again, you know, with the, the, the point of the conversation with this was, you know, when we are in a gallery space or the opportunity to be um, shown in a physical space, you know, just the, the idea about, you know, how that things that we can control and things that we can um, kind of be ahead of the game on being able to, um, you know, present our work in the best way possible. And obviously color is really important um, and there'll be things that we can control, but I, I'm confident with Super Chief that they um, have have those things um, in, in order. And again, you prepare for what you, for the, to present yourself in the best possible way. And there'll be a few things, unfortunately, that are outside of each individual's control, but you definitely plan, um, you know, do the best that you can with the information you have. And so having, you know, those tools available that you could, um, be able to step up and and provide that information and and um, is is definitely something that I think is helpful and then of course um, there will be other questions that we can that are that are relevant but um, there'll be times that we can't control every aspect of it but um, we'll definitely be um, moving forward with that process so um, but it has been an interesting conversation and an interesting process of learning about um, what all it takes and um, hopefully with Meta Jungle we'll be having the opportunity to do more of these in the future and um, but also a way in which we can work with our community just to share some of the feedback that we've um, learned along the way um, and I know will other groups you know if, as we're uh, moving in the direction of um, doing I know like with Monolith with Obscura um, several other communities are having more and more opportunities um, super rare for work to be shown and I know um, I'm sure that Ev was here earlier but with Silica they had their own obstacles to kind of um, overcome with showing on the large screens um, in Times Square during NFT NYC so these opportunities and just being aware that there might be times in which um, you can um, have those you know those details um, kind of in mind 
mind. So, um, but definitely a great conversation. And I'm really looking forward to um, what we're creating for the Super Chief Gallery that'll be um, happening here soon. So it's been definitely a fun deep dive into going back in and um, looking at work that has been collected and the stories associated with those and um, kind of even how we started off the conversation today, Mike, with talking about, you know, work that was collected 10 months ago um, and kind of so much that has happened in that short amount of time, you know, here in the space, we start thinking about that. And that actually prompted me to look back at my first photograph, uh, my first portrait that I collected um, as I was coming into the space. And it was actually um, from Sifa, um, um, who's a Turkish um, photographer, and it was of um, his Holy Series. And that was October 8th, I believe, was the, the date that I collected. So I'm almost coming up on a year of collecting in the photography space, which is really cool. Um, but it's fun to be able to look back through those details and those stories that come up and the people that connect with it. And it, it really helps, um, you know, you kind of reflect on the excitement of collecting and the stories associated. And um, obviously the, the, the artist too that you associate with and um, spend time with and learn about. So, you know, kind of capturing journeys as well, which is pretty cool. So the curation process has been really, really fun. <laughs> and I know too, as more and more of us are doing that on the online space, which Meta Jungle's working in that direction too, it's really cool to see how those things come together. Um, and had a cool conversation with Obscura um, yesterday, kind of about curation and those details too. So it's fun to see also as um, we come in, you know, with our immediate, um, you know, uh, involvement in the space and how those roles all kind of, you know, develop and change. And, you know, as, as creators also being collectors and having work, we appreciate in those um, things. So it's been a great reminder of the excitement of the space and why we do the things that we do in the space. So um, a really, really cool process and I've enjoyed it a lot. So, and um, those reminders too, of, you know, looking back at properties and details and metadata and those things, those reminders that time does go by very quickly. So the importance of having those there. So, um, but yeah, it's been a great, uh, definitely a great process. Um, and I know Alpha's um, dropped down to listener if any, and our topic today has been kind of a weekly update. So if anyone has other things that they would like to share along those lines, what's happening for this upcoming week, those sorts of things, you're welcome to join us. Um, and I did want to say hi to Sabot and check in on his trip because I have not heard any details about um, how things went, what was going on. Um, and and did you have a great time? Things were exciting, I'm sure, out in the in, in Mesomar. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all right. It was, uh, as always, a blessing to be there. You know, I always consider myself very lucky that I get a chance to go there. It's uh, never a dull day. You know, it's tiring. Uh, you you wake up at four, you sleep at nine. The whole day you're out in the heat, in the dust and etc. So when I came back, uh, I literally, you know, for the first time in my life, I slept for 24 hours nonstop. So I couldn't believe when I woke up, it was next day. I'm like, what the hell happened? Where did the day go? So that's how much tired I got this time because because it was really, really hot and long, long days. But yes, there's been some amazing uh, images which are going to come out of it. So I'm looking forward to editing them. It's been fun. And also we had a nice encounter with the lioness. I think I shared the video with you. So the lioness was trying to steal our beanbag. So that was again a first. They never do that. But this time, somehow the lioness was feeling a bit adventurous. <laughs> yeah, so it was really funny to watch. 
those beautiful animals do that yes better the bean bag than your toes huh <laughs> yeah she would go for the toes oh. for sure but somehow yeah she just decided to play with the bean bag she didn't take it because it's too heavy she tried but she couldn't get through That was a great video to see and what an amazing encounter to have her so close up. I mean that's that is really really incredible. Absolutely, absolutely. I can't wait for the day when you travel. I always tell you that you should someday visit Masai Mara, you know, it's such a beautiful place. There's no place like that particular place. I am sure that there isn't and no that would be amazing absolutely um because I'm sure the experience just being there even if you're not capturing images I think I think you might even forget to capture images at times just taking in everything that's happening around you so um I'm sure it's a really amazing experience and I hope to get to do that someday so I'm envious I live vicariously through um through you guys at this point in time so look forward to the images and and what's to come from that so has been a, a great week and we're glad you're back. I know um, I know my my spaces I take in are usually a little more um, less frequent when you're gone. So it's nice to have you back and we'll get started with that again, I know, but I um, was glad that you could join us today for sure. <laughs> Thanks much, Emma. And meanwhile, just keeping the tradition running, I sent you all the images that you have collected from me, high resolution <laughs> and 16 is to 9. So anytime you want to display it, it's ready for you. It's already in your inbox. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's also, you know, part of the process too, as we're navigating through the spaces when initially when you're coming in, you know, there's things that you don't really, you don't really know that you should even, you know, need or want or ask for. Um, and, you know, one of those other reasons why building that relationship, you know, with and becoming friends as we're connecting through the space kind of helps it as we do progress through our journey and something comes up, you know, there's that, that openness to be able to, um, connect and and it could even be a great way of that added value you know with previous collectors to be able to reach out and say, you know, this is something I'm starting, you know, that I, I think is important. So if you have a need for it, let me know. Or, you know, I am, you know, working on this process. So here's actually, I appreciate you collecting. Here's, you know, a version that if you want to display it digitally would look nice. So, you know, it could be something where um, that that's not expected by any means, but just kind of that chance also, you know, we talk about some of those ways in which we can um, connect and reach out, but it could be one of those added value moments, you know, of like, wow, you know, I didn't expect that at all, which thank you, Sabo, because I didn't by any means. Um, but, you know, also that opportunity to be able to appreciate and display work in a different format um, and just kind of, you know, that kind of thoughtfulness that could be really encouraging or, or help deepen that, you know, the appreciation both for the work, but also the thoughtfulness. Um, so it could be looked at in that, that regard as well. So, um, you know, just, and, but thank you. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it takes five minutes for any of us. You know, if there's such issues, we can immediately solve it. It's not a, too much of work to do. So least we can do is that, you know, uh, to appreciate all the appreciation we get here. It takes two minutes, maximum five minutes to crop them to that aspect ratio and just do the V-transfer. So I'm glad this topic came up. Now I need to reach out to all the collectors, you know, because that's something I never did, you know, sending high resolution. Only Shanov asked and I gave him all the images that he collected. But I think this should become a tradition now. You know, if collectors want high resolution, 
rather than depend on OpenSea or Sloika or any other platform, which at the end will compress the images. It's better to give the high resolution in through vTransfer or Google Drive or whatever works. So I think this is a good wake-up call. Uh, yeah, I did uh, provide a uh, high resolution, but I never thought about uh, cropping 16 by 9. So I got to... I got to do that also. But you're moving way faster than space and the cheetahs. You did already that 16 by 9 already. So kudos to you, Subodway. Yeah, it's yeah. quite organized. The folder so it's easy to find. So it's quite organized. I like that faster than a cheetah. <laughs> And we do have a meet joining us on stage, so I'll say hello. How are you today? Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm fine. Thanks for letting me in. Uh, actually, on this subject, I just had a question. Um, uh, so, so the 16 by 9 crop, uh, will it be like a vertical crop or like a horizontal crop? So, for example, uh, the one that I have uh, put up on as my NFT, yeah, the Genesis uh, at, addition um it, it's a vertical crop so if at all somebody wants a 16 by 9 then how is it going to work like when you do 9 by 16 it can be according to the aspect ratio already existing if it's a vertical image portrait image goes 9 by 16 like uh, joseph said if it's a landscape image other way around so you get aspect ratio in both of them at 16 to 9 Okay, I mean, so it's it's like a three by four kind of a uh, aspect ratio. Okay, fine, no worries. Sixteen to nine aspect ratio, vertically or horizontally, it comes both ways. Yeah, got. And thank you for that question. And yes, thank you, Sabod, for um, the answer as well. <laughs> and I know um, for this upcoming week, we'll have several um, other fun opportunities to get together in Meta Jungle. Um, just to kind of mention as we're in between um, that tomorrow we will have our chat and share space, um, which we'll be doing at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time um, on Thursday, which submissions are open for the AMA. Um, we'll be having our um, artist feedback AMA session in Discord um, on Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. So looking forward to that. And if you would like work reviewed, you're more than welcome to um, go ahead and fill out the submission form. Um, that can be done at any time. And then we go ahead and review those prior to um, the AMA time frame that is set. Um, so we'll be doing some more announcements with that throughout the week. Um, and then on Friday, Sarah, Lindsay, and I are beautiful woman in yellow down there. Um, she will be joining me for our navigating NFT space. Um, so looking forward to that on Friday. And um, this past Friday, we started a conversation about the importance of storytelling as kind of some open dialogue. And um, as far as storytelling and creation, and it was really a great space. Um, and so we're going to be continuing that conversation on Friday. So the recording is available and shared. So if you guys, if anybody is interested in catching up on that, um, it's a really 
great, great conversation, and we'll be continuing that on Friday. So looking forward to that, and we do that at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time as well. And then I believe next Sunday we may have a special guest for this space. Um, so looking forward to that as well. So that's kind of has been our kind of our schedule and our our time frame of um, keeping um, with with Meta Jungle spaces and special events. So um, definitely looking forward to the week ahead. And I know that this, um, for, for our particular space today, if anyone has um, others, you know, weekly updates that they would like to share, you're welcome to do so. Um, and, and if not, we may go ahead and start wrapping up the space. So um, really, this is our time we get together and, and share things that are happening in the space and current events. Um, so definitely open to conversation. But um, we have been running for about um, three and a half hours at this point, so we can so um, um, say our, um, you know, start wrapping up if, if there aren't other topics to discuss today. Well, I ha I've had a new drop this week, as you might be aware. Could mention that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is exciting. And um, that was on, it's, it's at a drop on Silica, is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I dropped a Technically, a Genesis one of one alongside a collect uh, an edition. Um, so, yeah, that's what I dropped on Thursday. Was it? I made it the twenty second. It's all relating to the Ethereum roadmap and the merge, um, and relating it to some of my um, historic volcano work that I did um, back in two thousand and eighteen, actually. Um, but only just starting to release it as NFTs. So yeah, that's that's what I've done, and I've. I've actually been building out the tweet thread for it because I had to find some links. And it's funny because we're all talking about how we should be using video. And um, and I've been using video for quite a while now with, you know, kind of my um, tweets but um, and my tweet threads. Um, but, yeah, so I've obviously got the NFTs in the tweets. And then in the tweet thread, I've got like, um, like a sort of taster because of an interview that I did some time ago where – my films, I had an award-winning film that's linked to it. So there's already video content there <laughs> that goes with it. Um, and an interview that I did um, about kind of the behind-the-scenes, some of the behind-the-scenes stories. Um, so that was because of a, the film that was featured in a film festival. Um, so, yeah, that's all in now, like a tweet thread. So there's a link to the YouTube interview. There's a link to my YouTube channel with the film um, in the tweet thread. And because it's interesting, you know, actually one of the things I wanted to bring up early when we were talking about video content versus stills is like there's certain situations that I've discovered having done some filmmaking now where still photos don't always do the job. And sometimes you do need sound and you do need movement to be conveyed. And with something like a volcano, obviously it's all about sound. It's all about movement and, <laughs> and color. So while you can convey the color aspect and to some extent you convey the movement aspect, you can't obviously convey the sound aspect unless you happen to be there and recorded it. So um, having the film um, there, um, which I haven't minted yet, but I will one day. I'm actually just in the process of remastering the music. So I've got a composer who's helping me write a new piece of music to go with the film. And when that's done, I expect I'll eventually release that as an NFT. But because of the unique nature of it, I'll expect it to be a very high-priced NFT. Um, so... Um, yeah, watch out for that. But that's still a work in progress. Um, 
So yeah, but it is available in its current form to be viewed with the current um, version of the music that I'm using for it, which unfortunately I can't use as an NFT. I actually approached the composer for that one and he said he, he wouldn't allow it. So that's why I'm having to rewrite the music um, for it. But that's fine um, because I've got a good composer I work with. So so yeah, looking forward to um, directing that with him and, and, and adding that to the film and eventually NFTing it. But also the other idea is, as you know, I like books. So because the body of work is so huge, um, I'm having problems, I've had problems deciding how to NFT everything because everyone talks about scarcity and you don't have too many pieces of work out. But actually the amount of mintable quality work that's come from that particular project is actually quite a lot um, of images. So what I'd like to do is over time, hopefully, you know, obviously sell some of them as NFTs, earn enough ETH to eventually turn it into a book and give like value add to collectors who like buy multiple versions of it to um, obviously get copies of the book when it's made and to even contribute to the um, creation of it and some of the design decisions and things like that. So that's kind of what I'd like to to do with it as hopefully that collection, you know, gets built out and um, uh, and hopefully collected. Very good. Well, I know you're always um, working on new opportunities and ways in which to document work um, using the blockchain, which is really, really exciting. So definitely wish you lots of success with your um, drop from this week. And we'll be watching to see what's um, coming up next week or with your next projects as well. Um, and along those lines of um, talking about, um, you know, books and relation to storytelling. And we hit on this a little bit on Friday in our space, but I think too, an interesting thing um, that's happening today, um, which we've already mentioned Michelle's name um, today, but um, but Michelle, Michelle Villon, she is releasing a um, collection today that many in the room may know about, but it's a really cool um, altered contract, which lets um, those that are collecting it add to the story and actually mint um, their details of the story into the metadata. And it's something that's being done with Transient Labs, um, which they're always kind of pushing the space forward. Um, but I know from listening to a few interviews of her, she's mentioned that it'll be something that others um, are able to actually use that contract in the future as well, that they developed it, you know, that it would be something that others could, could kind of adopt. And it'll be really interesting um, to see as um, we move in forward in the space, kind of how our traditional methods of even thinking about photo books and thinking about books, how those will kind of morph as we're able to preserve, you know, things and metadata, pre preserve things on the blockchain. Um, but if you haven't seen um, the collection yet, it is a really cool um kind of way of making it more of a community involved um, story um, and her, her reason behind it and process is really, really interesting. Um, but it might be, you know, that was something that has been kind of top of mind this week that I know she's been working on for some time and releasing it. So um, it's, it has been a cool process to think about. And I love seeing how people are innovating and using different things, you know, in the space to kind of share their, their message, share their brand, share things that are um, exciting and new to them and being able to, you know, involve different things. Things. But yeah, Savod, go ahead. Yeah, Emma, you're talking of uh, innovations. So there was one guy who came up in the space today, this afternoon. I just pinned it on top, uh, which is so cool. You know, I think it's been, I mean, uh, dynamic NFTs are running for a while. People are experimenting in all different ways. This guy created this art. It's black and white. And once you collect and once it's sitting in your wallet, it starts becoming colorful. You know, it, it takes its own uh, royal time. More you keep in your wallet, 
more colorful it becomes suppose you send it to someone some other wallet again it becomes black and white and again it starts becoming colorful it's such a cool idea you know people are experimenting in such beautiful ways coding this and that so i've been asking him that whether he can do a workshop for this about how to code because i have no idea i don't even know i told him i don't even know how to update my icloud you know forget coding it's too far so hopefully if he agrees we'll bring him to meta jungle and run a coding workshop you know this is I, this dynamic nft is so so cool so moment i heard this i wanted to share yeah i spoke to this guy he was in a space with me um earlier today um prince is his name um yes. he was telling us all about it very cool and then i don't know whether you guys know about the one that um victoria did with um victoria west with codecrafter on tezos similar idea um with a dynamic nft that's that was pretty innovative um but that's on tezos yeah, yeah. I mean, he even said sorry mike just to add one more thing he even said that you can inbuild uh, you know like embed some kind of a weather app for example you have a image which can have different dynamics to it suppose the image shows suppose in your in new york it's raining uh, at that point if you open that particular uh, nft it will show a raining nft you know that scene will be having rain suppose it's sunny it becomes sunny day so it can go with the weather according to live weather according to how it is around you just by embedding some kind of a weather app i mean the uh, opportunities if you dig in is immense wow the the innovation is just just crazy and just watching that and seeing how the colors come it's so beautiful i also just wanted to mention just because i was i was away while uh, while uh, joseph's work was posted here um i absolutely love these lava images man they're freaking amazing dude um i retweeted them the other day but i i just retweeted them again um i lived in hawaii for quite some time and i didn't actually get to see lava at, at this level but um these are really beautiful and i i hope that um you know they i, I don't know if uh, the, if if any sold yet or anything like that but they're they're really incredible works brother that thank you thank you mike yeah it was really cool to learn that you um had spent that amount of time in hawaii and i really would at some point obviously not in this space because we're probably wrapping up but another time I'd love to chat with you some more about your experience there because it made a huge impression on me the four months that i was shooting the eruption pre post pre during and post eruption it was truly 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 epic but it's more about what i learned about hawaiian people hawaiian culture some of the issues they have there the conflict obviously with you know being american owned and all, all the other layers to it there's so many layers to it and you know i i got by having that deep dive ability to spend that amount of time like i got to really cover the stories in breadth and depth and learn so much about about the people and made so many great friends from the experience but yeah it's amazing that lava brought us all together <laughs> yeah unfortunately i was a supremely amateur photographer when i uh, lived in uh, hawaii i had literally had just bought a camera towards the end of uh, living there but i i did spend 4 years i was a search and rescue controller so I did get to see um every island except for uh Niihau which is a uh, forbidden island owned by the Robinson family and no one can go there. Um but Kauai has a special place in my heart that island is just absolutely beautiful it just reminds me of Jurassic Park although Jurassic Park was filmed on Oahu where I lived. <laughs> Kauai just um embodies just absolute beauty of nature and big island also i mean did, did all the islands of hawaii are just incredible if you guys ever have an opportunity to just go um just go visit you know it's just it's it's just an incredible place and don't even understand how it's even 
part of the United States. Uh, it feels like another world uh, within itself. And it's, it's so beautiful. I can't wait to visit again now um, as a photographer and, and get, to, get to see it through a, through a different eye. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something. And the Aloha spirit as well. I guess after four years there, you caught a taste of that, I hope. Um, yeah, that's pretty pretty special part of it. I made so many great friends who, you know, I could go back now. I could just go back now and stay with, like, God knows, dozens and dozens of friends that all be vying for, like, oh, yeah, come and stay with me, come and stay with me, come and stay with me. <laughs> um, yeah, just from that experience. Amazing, really. It's uh, left an indelible impression on my life, really. And I, you know, I didn't just cover lava, right? I, I did obviously a lot of lava photography while I was there because so many crazy things happened in in that time. But um, there are all these like human impact and animal animal stories that um, that I was able to shoot as well. So that kind of really gave me a whole other kind of dimension to the experience, right? being able to cover not just. I mean, it is mesmerizing, right? And I got hundreds and hundreds of like you know really beautiful images of lava. But I think if I'd come away from that experience with only lava. I think I would have I would have felt I've done a disservice to to it, right? Um, yeah, and I think actually I wouldn't have been embraced at all by the local population if I just come in and shot stories about lava and, and left the fact that I, you know, I managed to earn their trust and and you know get into their lives like during a really really difficult time for them, right? A lot of them being made homeless and losing property and animals and all kinds of things, right? Livelihoods, um, but to have them kind of be warm and embrace me and trust me to come in you know and take pictures sometimes take video um it was really quite special obviously it didn't happen immediately i needed to earn trust right but but you know when i did it was a really beautiful experience yeah you sort of really need to earn trust in hawaii i mean um well as an american especially i mean we did take their queen at, at gunpoint and um sort of took their uh took their island to be our own um but yeah, they it, the, talking about the aloha uh, spirit of it. It's it's a much different place. I mean, I, just driving around in New York is so stressful. Just so many people honking and beeping and all this stuff. And in Hawaii, you don't you don't see that um, honking. Your horn is very very looked down upon there. Time is sort of slowed uh, down to a pace, and someone might get out of the car if you honk your horn there, and um, and and you know want to fight you because that's it's not aloha at all but here in new york uh there's actually a language of honking it's like if you hold down the horn really hard it's like it's like get the f out of my way what are you doing there's a beep beep when you see your friends in the street and you're saying hi there's um i could go on and on there's probably 20 different languages of honking your horn um that could be from totally aggressive to just saying what's up Mike, please don't remind me that Monday to Saturday for that honking stuff. I'm Sunday. It's, I want to take it easy with that stuff. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You're from India, Chris. In India, we speak with horns as well. Yes, but it's Sunday. It's an off day. I just want to be taking easy with that honking stuff. But you know, I'm wondering. Uh, Emma, if you can explain, how does it work, the above pin tweet of Mitchell, what does it mean when they say you can add to the story? I didn't understand that part. 
Yeah, definitely. So I've um, added the a tweet to the top that gives um, access, I think, to the collection. It, it actually minted today. Um, but the way the process it works is you can actually go to um, – as a collector and you've collected a piece, you can actually then go to um, Michelle's website and you can write um, another part of the story. And when you finish doing that, you actually go ahead and pay um, a gas fee and you mint your story into the metadata. And so um, the holder, whatever piece, whatever wallet that piece is, has that ability to go in and one time be able to um, write a story and actually that story into the metadata of this piece. And so as that piece continues um, its journey, um, other people can add to that story as well. So I know when Michelle has, when I've heard her talk about it in spaces, she's talked about, you know, the fact that um, very much like when she goes into an antique store or has, you know, an, a vintage piece, she's always wondered what the story is behind it, who's owned it before, who they were, you know, who they were, you know, the significance of that piece to them. And so this was a way that, you know, going into tra with Transient Labs, you know, being able to actually create that experience for an NFT that instead of just wondering what the story was, you could actually um, have that saved in the metadata. So it's a really exciting way of being able to um, you know be innovative with storytelling and also using that that ability to preserve information for for the future um, so it's and they did develop it in a way in which it's not unique just to this only you know to this particular collection that it is something that can be a resource um, for other artists that would like to implement this in, in ways that they're creating um, so I love that too that um, it involves you know, more of a community um, for a particular piece, but also it's something um, designed with the um, with encouraging others to come and have that opportunity to use this resource for what they're creating as well. So the cutter talks from his perspective, not about the image, but why he collected the image of something from his perspective. He can add something. Is that what it means? It's completely up to the holder, really. They can say what it, the significance it has for them. Um, but each, um, from the images that I have, have viewed of hers, there's kind of a prompt, a story prompt there, kind of, and that, that lets, she's kind of started the story from her viewpoint for the image. And so you can, you can continue that story on if you would like. Really, they, whoever holds the image has full control over what they meant. They do have the opportunity to only mint once while it's in that wallet um so there that is something to keep in mind um but you know you can you have the full control and so kind of a social experiment to see what people will contribute to this storyline and then also you know maybe the possible you know whether how that moves forward with the image as well and what the next person will add and the next person will add um so just a really a really interesting ability to be able to um you know let those that are holding the image, put their, their mark um, there on it for the future. Got you, got you. And Transient Lab is like uh, just like another manifold kind of a thing where you can, it's like a smart contract or was it, what is it exactly? I didn't understand that part. 
Um, so I'm, there's probably details that I will leave out, but they um, are a company that have been um, developing different um, technology, but usually with the application of a smart contract to be able to do different, um, different creative um, NFT aspects. So um, Ben Strauss, ben Strauss is um, the leader behind that. The artist that's behind the the what they're developing and behind the the, the effort and the movement. Um, but for instance, um, a few months ago there was um, the Shatter contract that came out. So you can take a one of one image, mint the one of one, and the collector um, has the ability of shattering that image into additions if they would like to. Um, and they went ahead and developed the image even that or the idea even that much further that even after it shattered um, at some point in the future, if all the additions are pulled back together, it can actually be turned back into a one of one. So a really interesting way of doing that, um, which Dave Krugman um, did with a um, with his drip drop collection. He actually did a huge um kind of collaborative piece that can now be shattered into 111 editions um, if the holder chooses to do so. Um, so just and some different um, ability to have some stop motion, um, some time analytics built into the smart contract for the for an image. Um, so really being able to be innovative. And, and I know artists have gone to, you know, to them and said, I have this idea, this is something I'd kind of love to see happen. Is it possible? And so, you know, using their resources of being able to build on the tech side of creating some really innovative um, storytelling methods or ways of preserving and presenting art and some, you know, different ways in which art can live on the blockchain and morph into different, uh, you know, different forms and that sort of thing. So really, really creative and really talented group um, bringing some, some new things to the space. Wow. So, Mike, we need to learn how to dance on TikTok. We need to learn how to do videos. We need to learn Vero. We need to learn uh, coding for making dynamic NFT. And finally, we need to learn transient labs now. So after that, you'll forget photography. You can't do that, all that stuff. <laughs> tell, tell me about Vero, because I did actually use it ages ago when it was like an inception phase, like literally one of the very early. But then it kind of, I don't know, lost some traction, but it sounds like it's coming back or it's grown or tell no, me more about where it's, it's at. Now. It's coming back because of Instagram, because they have been screwing up. So people are not liking Instagram nowadays. So everyone is like migrating to Vero, but Vero is like Mike was saying, you know, uh, you need to add another bit of uh, time to another social media. But in Vero, you don't need that. You just post some image and let it be. You know, you can go in the evening again and it's it's chronological. You know, nothing is going to be, there's no algorithm there. So everything is going to be in order. Whoever posted from your friends list, you'll only see those things in order. So you just go back once in a day and just check out what people have posted. It's very, very, you know, it's like meditative social media you don't feel the pressure of social media very very calming effect it has and i like it because of mainly two reasons one three reasons actually one quality of images are great the presentation is beautiful so i like that it creates a nice portfolio like mike said you can arrange your whole portfolio there very very clean and neat and beautifully and secondly uh, i like the founder you know just like sloika i like the founder in sloika that's why i stick to that because they have they care about the customers. And same thing with Vero. He's uh, Ayman and he's based in Dubai. So he's become like a friend now, you know, just that easy to uh, get in touch with them. And he has a very, very clear vision. It's never going to be 
algorithm based there's never going to be ads it's 100% guaranteed it's going to stay the same it's like even if it doesn't grow it's going to stay the same we are not going to push it to make it some instagram or any of those things so that's another good way of looking at it from his point of view and thirdly for me personally in dubai everything is blocked you know whatsapp call is blocked skype is blocked everything you know any social media calls are blocked you we even can't do instagram live so fortunately we have space but vero has a calling feature and you can call anyone in the world so that's a big relief for me you know it's become that place where you can just go and call your friends free of cost otherwise we have to do cellular calls and it costs a lot so yeah that's another reason i stick there i bring everyone there and say let's call and talk to each other free That's income in calls sorry mike i spoke over you but the call side sounds great i don't remember that being available when it first came out but it was so long ago i can't really remember sorry mike what yeah, you said yeah they are they have introduced that recently in the new version so they're still not pushing it because their android version is not ready so they say it's very buggy iphone version is completely ready so exactly so once android is already maybe they'll start marketing it more uh but yes uh, they're not pushing it too hard they're just letting people get annoyed with instagram and come to vero so it's kind of nice it's very silent and no reels dang it no dance we don't have to learn that on vero no dance in vero he can stick to instagram for dance mike is going to do that he's he's a great dancer mike let me know i'll love to i'll especially if you do that i'm going to learn how to do videos so yeah let me know please <laughs> if i dance oh man yeah I, i don't like to be put on the spot i just like the music to hit and be to be in the moment so i don't know how to set that up <laughs> the important to catch in that b-roll when you're in the moment home huh? <laughs> that way you've got it there for when you need it <laughs> exactly all the dance videos i have is from like someone at an event that just like was like oh i got a video of this and then like was like oh i have a video and sent it to me so <laughs> yeah nothing has ever been set up it's like my photography too i i just like i don't know it's part of like um like, i don't know i don't know being and not trying or something i i don't know the amount of things that we were having to to do as you know in our example here photographers <laughs> reminds me of the one man band kind of guy right the guy who's playing the harmonica while he's beating the drum while he's got the jamboree on his ankle <laughs> while he's doing everything he can with his available appendages or limbs let's just say let me use the word limbs not appendages it could be misconstrued Yes, I guess we want to be careful about that for sure. <laughs> and I wanted to say hello to Kafel. I know you just joined us, but I wanted to check in and see how you were doing today. Uh, I want to say that thing. Uh, Instagram wants you to make reels, but I'm a rebel. So here's a photo as a reel because I'm lazy as fuck. Yeah. That's the new trend, Kafel. People <laughs> yeah. are posting their picture as a reel now. That's the most laziest thing. ever in trying to promote your work because people have lost their lost their because yeah just, I, there's nothing else to say people know what it is people know which direction it's going and now it's annoying that even in your home feed 
you see like some random stranger i was like who the fuck is this guy and this like based on your like you might like this and no i don't just fucking don't you i follow only limited people for a purpose that only i see them on the feed but they just forcefully show you anybody now and it's not even sponsored just because you like you might like this as well no thank you but, yeah. But, yeah yeah you know the queen yeah. died and i went to instagram just like that for some other reason not because the queen died and then in the in the instagram reel there was some queen video i just saw that one video and now the whole instagram is filled with royal family i feel like i'm in some kind of a royal family drama every time you know, i feel it's just royal family you know how many times i've tried to manipulate my instagram explore page by purposely liking i spent one whole day liking only photography stuff only the, but yet it shows you know yet it shows whatever it's just it's just complete mayhem over there cuz you know i when you open a new account you'll see the same pose the dances that get it like so much you know <laughs> yeah, get it <coughs> open a new instagram account your explore will be full of that and that's just i don't know what yeah, it is but <laughs> i didn't know yes, what i was doing but i was watching um a lot of like mixed martial arts fights and stuff on there like ufc stuff like that cuz they have a lot of like those reels and now like on my explore page is like all these like half naked like bodybuilders and stuff like so man if my girlfriend sees that she's going to think um what <laughs> I'm, i'm still struggling to remove andrew date from my feeds i don't know how the fuck to do that is that guy is everywhere i don't listen to him i don't know how to how to throw him off of my feed yeah dude he's 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 crazy he's super sexist that guy he's just too much man he's like the i, I don't know he's like um I, I, it's like jordan peterson for like people with low iq or something he really needs to go that guy like i'm not saying anyone needs to be canceled but dude why is he everywhere or like posted everywhere it's insane but mike universe is trying to give you a sign like earlier you saying go bodybuilding uh thing so but you know uh, thanks and thanks kapil bhai calling me a lazy because recently i made that reels for it so yeah thank you uh i won't take it back <laughs> sorry but i won't take it back cuz it is you you know it okay you yourself know it it was lazy but but kapil uh speaking of innovation we spoke of dynamic nft kapil has this you can pin it up you know what i'm going to talk about he has this nft of some i don't know who made that they have weird art and within that art there are some clues whoever solves it gets one ethereum as the prize you know and they have kapil has been trying for the last 6 months he still couldn't track it you know i know suppose strategy he wants everybody to waste their time so that he can silently drop his new collection and only he gets the attention because this is just a mind fuck <laughs> i bookmarked because suboth did gives me a heads up that he'll bring it up every time so guys if you want to waste months and months of your time if you want to lose you know concept of day and night what time to eat your meal go ahead try to solve this so this is a good time pass if you if you if you're living a comfortable life that's boring just have some fun yeah this is that particular image has some clue i don't know it's a puzzle if you solve it you get one ethereum 1300 dollars right now unfortunately 
I barely get a few hours of uh, just to get uh, relaxed. And I'm, I don't know if I'm, I can probably uh, solve that puzzles. But no, nah, no thank you, uh, Kapil Bhai. No, I mean, whoever customer comes to your shop, just give them a print of this and ask them to solve. And once they solve, they can come back to you and you can do 50-50. And by the time they solve, Ethereum may be $300 or maybe $5,000. You never know. It will take time. That's a good idea, right? I'm going to give each. If you buy a candy, you get free prints of puzzles. Go work. And if you want to redeem it, come back only these places. Otherwise, you cannot redeem that. See, there it is. It's fun, guys. Try to solve it. And if you have any clues, DM me. <laughs> DM me right away. Because I have some clues. I'll share it with you only if you share it with me. You know, uh, we'll split 90 10. I'll keep 90, I'll give you 10. So just go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and try to solve it. But, you know, I, I kept thinking, what the ETH value right now, the amount of time I spent. Trying to solve this, if I would have just done minimal labor work, I would have made one eighth. So I don't know if it was. It was just this compulsion, you know, that you had a challenge and you had to just, why the fuck can't I? But I learned a lot. I learned quite a few things about technography, which is a very interesting concept, actually. You know, it can be, uh, it can be implied in NFTs. You know, with technography, it's not metadata. Metadata is something else. Technography is you encrypt text, video, images, anything within the photograph itself. And uh, it can be decoded. You know, you can give some clues uh, in your description uh, as an unlockable content or anything. And they can, it can be a whole puzzle thing. So it can be some, you know, you can get creative with it. You know, it can be something that can be done in NFTs for sure. There's another puzzle happening here. Every time Ev comes into the room, I send him a speaker request. He runs away and he comes back after a while. I do again the same thing. I send him a speaker's request and he runs away. Well, and I did want to say hi to Pete. I know he's joined us here on the speaker panel too. And Ev, you're welcome to come up if you would like. But I, since uh, Pete has joined us, I wanted to say hi to him as well. You doing okay today? Yeah, what's up? I'm uh, working on a painting, you know, the usual, the usual, you kind of like get to do that now and like, just say that's what you're doing. Cause you know, that's what everybody's doing. So if you're a NFT weirdo that does painting, but, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, this interesting convo uh, about the, um, the meta data stuff and, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, 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 the thing about, um, um, just hating on Instagram. And I, I mean, I've seen a lot of people hate on Twitter right lately. Just the algorithms are just p pissing people off for very good reason. But I find it very interesting, actually, um, the, you know, that the way the algorithms are throwing things at us, um, because it's so it, it just has the it has the potential Twitter, all of it have the potential to be tools that we can understand and use to like better our communications with people. And, and yet <laughs> they find a way to like throw wrenches in the spokes constantly of your understanding of the tool. And it's, I, I don't know if anybody else is dealing with that on, on a level that's annoying to them, but um, yeah, I don't know. I find it, 
find it weird and interesting that the that it's constantly a struggle. It just seems like it shouldn't be. I definitely think you bring up a topic that um, many in the room can relate to for sure. Um, is that, you know, that ability to kind of be seen and um, be seen by the right people. So I don't want you to feel like you're alone in that by any means. We talked to see the right people, you know, or even right. just like see, like I, I keep, I have so many people that I'm following that I want to know what they're talking about. I want to know what their opinions are. That's why I followed them. And I'm like still getting like this one thing over and over on my timeline. Nope. Like, dude, I haven't clicked on that in like four months and I see it every day. So Notification strange. on on the people you want to watch. Yeah, ugh, I can't notifications. Yeah, that's my own personal I'm I can't do notifications anymore. Or 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 add them to a list in that case. Yeah, yeah, list, yeah. You only see them. Yeah, there's okay, that that's okay, yes. That's brilliant. That's not it's stuff that I should be doing. You're a good idea. Yes, those lists help a lot. I understand the notifications. You can barely have your phone, you know, that's just blowing up if you've got notifications on all the time. Um, but lists do help so much with kind of curating your own um, timeline. Um, so I know that's been something that has helped me a lot. And even people that you want to see regularly and be able to even share their work and, you know, know what's going on with them. It is an, an awesome way to do that. And you can do that privately so they don't get notified. So there are two ways of going about creating your list if you just if you create your list and you don't make it private it will tell people when you add them which it's obviously up to what you know up to you as to what you're wanting to create or if you're worried about putting people on a list and you don't want them to know you can make that list private and they won't get the notification that they've been added to your list um, but definitely a great resource to kind of tame down and have some control over what you see and who you connect with and I was thinking you know Meta Jungle should create maybe if the option is available, it's not in all the countries, but the communities, you know, that's the new thing, new tab, which comes up. So there you can have a community of your own uh, set of people and they can post every day. It's kind of nice. It's like a Facebook page from old days. That is something that we need to move into and, and explore for sure. Um, Cause I know um, that is something that more and more people are using. So we can, we can move into that and get meta jungle set up that way for sure. Um, and that is, I know um, different groups have been using that for different means, you know, whether it's a community or also, you know, kind of creating your own community of your, um, you know, fellow artists and collectors um, ways in which you can um, have that as an, a, a way where you're kind of creating your own experience there. So we do need to go ahead and get that set up with Meta Jungle and um, and have that explored a little bit more. So thank you, Sabod. We will definitely be moving on, moving in that direction, especially as Jaden's going to be coming back from um, her break very, very soon. So that will be helpful too. <laughs> We've missed her while she's been um, raising babies. So she'll be back with us very, very soon though. Um, but it is great to keep up with those tools that can help us um, you know utilize what we want to see and not just what it what we're fed she's raising babies so she'll be back with us real soon like in 18 years exactly exactly <laughs> yeah she her little one is 
five weeks old tomorrow, I believe. I believe it's already been five weeks, four weeks, five weeks. So she'll be back um, with us more, um, more uh, full time here very, very soon. But um, definitely doing some important stuff. <laughs> and Kifel, you are welcome to take the mic if you would like. Uh, yeah, thank you. I don't want to spoil the vibe of the room, but there was something I wanted to address if I'm allowed. May I? That's awfully open-ended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. okay, so I'll go ahead and say it because I, wa- I wanted to give this message to everybody. You know, this since the title is the weekly update and this last week has a lot of things is happening, okay? Uh, in one part, it's good to see people coming together and supporting people who are going through tough times in their lives uh, and fighting a lot of bigger issues. But at the same time, it was so saddening because yesterday I read a thread where artists were just attacking each other based on the morality and ethics of somebody's work and it's saddening because you know you may not a person i sometimes don't believe in something or someone's work that why they're doing it but i give them a benefit of doubt that maybe i am less informed um, about the intent of doing what they're trying to do and i should educate myself more Uh, you know maybe they're doing something more meaningful than anybody else uh, or maybe more than what I I thought, but these uh, these just name calling each other pu- publicly, and then saying a certain person's work is this, and they just trying to do this, and then it just turned real ugly. And I don't know, uh, I'm not going to say who, but I, I guess uh, quite a lot of you might know what I'm addressing about. It just turned really personal, you know. It turns really into a really personal attacks. And reading that thread, it just showed that. They didn't have a private conversation. It was just all in public since the beginning. You know, if they could have just had a mature conversation in DMs or over a phone call explaining why and so and had their doubles clear, you know, all this toxic negativity can be avoided because we talk a lot about community, community, community. But then when it just bursts out, it bursts out in a really pathetic way to be honest i'm not gonna sugarcoat anything it's really sad to see so guys if you have any differences anything just take the first step in communicating there's nothing wrong in reaching out to a person through a dm if you are if you are concerned about something if you want to know more about something if you have questions just reach out you know just reach out before going into a public forum and writing threads and then just attacking each other personally and spoiling your peace of mind, their peace of mind, the whole space, because they were friends and there's just what's happening is just sad. So that's one message I wanted to give. And thank you so much. I hope I didn't spoil the vibe, but that's something that was necessary to be said. I, don't I know exactly. <laughs> I'm not so sure Emma knows the topic, but I seen that and this, it was unnecessary and I didn't bother to comment, but that's truly unnecessary. And you're, you're right, but I'm not sure that I know exactly um, the the particular uh, thread that was being mentioned, but I think it's always a great reminder to, um, you know, be kind in how we talk with one another and also the assumptions that we make about one another when we see something. And as we all know, with social media, we're all so urgent to have our opinions without always um, reading um, the, the particular item or also knowing exactly what it 
messages that we're um, commenting on. So taking the time to treat each other as humans is so important, um, especially in the social um, world where, you know, we can write something out really quickly or comment or have our conversations about it in DMs. But remembering that they're um, people and there are better ways of dealing with things at times um, to keep things from getting um, blown out of proportion or bigger than that they need to be. So I think that's a great reminder for everyone. I've had some heated debates with people uh, who I who I totally respect um, about art and about music and all those things, and they never have to get to personal attacks. I think it's I think it, what what you're talking about with like it's very interesting that people will will go there very quickly. Um, it, I I actually I actually think that personal attacks uh, come from a place of of sadly a place of ignorance um when people feel threatened because they cannot you know pull from actual information they they attack the messenger uh that's that's you know psychology 101 but uh yeah it's it's tough it's tough when people are willing to do that yeah that's the thing and you know we're talking about instagram and everything you know my biggest drawback right now as a photographer is I don't have a social media trace of my work because I always hated it. I never wanted to go on social media, neither Instagram. I was never on Snapchat. I didn't even have WhatsApp, you know, because I hated those broadcast messages that people send in the morning, that bullshit news, just fake rumors and all that shit. And, but somehow this is the most uncomfortable I am, to be honest, you know, that is why I only talk in spaces. I don't interact much in comments, tweets and all. Uh, there are only two people I DM and talk to at max. Uh, space is a good way because here at least you're talking there's that personal connect so this is good but all in all the social media because everybody has freedom to say whatever they want to but it can definitely turn real ugly because you know we want decentralization but decentralization comes with its consequences as well that anybody can say anything and point fingers at anybody blame anybody now let's just see let's just act responsibly and mature in this space Oh, hope, hope these things just, you know, they don't spoil the space too much because I knew somewhere, you know, back six months, you know, in Subod space, I've said it, that, you know, that these all these people who are saying we found our community, 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 takes a little while. And, you know, and they are the first, they were the first ones who just got against each other. You know, they're standing against each other now. For God knows what factors, and I, I don't know, so I won't comment, but it takes a little time, just have some patience. Well, let's hope, let's hope these things don't take over the space, you know, because it's a good space. It's something, finally, something good is happening for all of us, irrespective of our geographical locations, our identities or where we are from or what are the barriers. Uh, let's not, let's not fuck this up. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to say that, but just let's not, let's not fuck this up. Well said, for sure. Yes, there's plenty of things that we can appreciate about the space. And um, yeah, you know, as humans, we have a tendency to, um, you know, we're not perfect by any means. So keeping that in mind and being um, respectful of one another and also forgiving of one another is part of being a community. Um, so keeping, you know, always, you know, going to that person. And I appreciate Pete brought up, you know, that we can have debates, we can have disagreements, we can even have difference of opinions. 
Um, we don't all have to have the same opinion, but um, also we do. It is important to have respect for each other. Um, so that's that's something I appreciate, even as we've had conversations, you know, in these spaces where it might be a topic that um, is kind of a hot topic um, that we can still have a conversation and do so respectfully. It's it is really really important because um, you know that's how we grow and we expand, and we're not always going to see things exactly the same. But the most important part is being able to talk about it respectfully um, and being able to continue forward after that fact. Um, but we that's how we learn, too, is hearing other people's point of views and hearing um, other input. Um, but, yeah, being able to do so without um, the, the division, because really that's what happens whenever we start fighting with, the, with each other. The division happens and then we're not we're not progressing at all. Um, so I appreciate that reminder, Kafel. I'm just wondering, this exhibition in Venice, uh, is Metajungle going to be there in person or it's remote? Well, I put in my request, but it hasn't been approved yet. I told him I could come and document the experience. I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> but so far, so far, I have not gotten a go on that. Um, but no, um, it will be in Venice um, in November. Um that was a lie. I already told her she could go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we will see then. <laughs> Possibly. It will definitely happen without my physical presence one way or the other. But hopefully I will. Man, that's going to open up some topics here. Um, maybe so. So we will see. But no. Um, if, if so, it will be me that's there. Um, but um, that hasn't been formalized on the plans yet. But uh, maybe so. That was a really bad answer. Amazing to know. Looking forward to that exhibition. Yes, I definitely am too. It's gonna, it's coming together so nicely, and it's exciting to see um, all the pieces that are represented. So it's, it's been fun to work on for sure. Um, and I think we're planning also to create some ways in which, um, even for those that aren't physically able to attend, ways in which they can um, also see the work and see the selection and have an experience as well. Um, so it'll be fun to see it in the physical location, but also for those that can't make the trip to see it, they'll be able to, to take in the work as well. But you mentioned one thing very interesting, which is your first ever NFT last October from CEFA. See, I sent a request to Ev, he ran away. That's happening every single time. But yeah, you mentioned that your first ever NFT was from Sefa. So I'm wondering, what was the first NFT of Alpha? Well, and that is a good question. That was my first... I believe my first photography NFT that I collected, I had collected quite a few prior to that, but that was my first, um, my first four way, I believe into photography. Um, and I don't, I don't know what alphas is. I'll have to check and see. I don't know what, I don't know what that actually is. Um, it'll be, yeah, that's an interesting convert, interesting, um, question for sure. I'll, I'll check it out and see what I can figure out. Um, cause I know for me, I came in and, um, for me personally, it was, um, oh my goodness, Stoner Cats was my very, very first, but my first into photography was Sefa's Holy Collection. Yeah, photography it is, of course. <laughs> uh, my first was my co-host, Mike. <laughs> uh, your latest could be That's awesome. my pin tweet. Just... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's <laughs> <Just> go ahead. <laughs> 
the first ever proof of stake nft on sloika was mine you know so i hold a record there so as soon as that thing happened the merge happened i picked up a piece from sloika the first ever and even they were curious how did it go any problems with the collection so it was smooth as silk Yes, the merge was um it was interesting for sure. We had kind of a festive energy and everything went really really smooth and now we're just continuing on, huh? We had weeks of build up and everything went great. So, it's nice that it was it was so smooth. But Kafil said after the merge, uh Ethereum will go to $4000. It went down. All right, it was a, it was a good time talking to all of you. I'll just step <laughs> step down to listeners now. But I see oh bro I'll, I'll tell you something I made my dad my dad buy ethereum when ethereum was was its all time high back in november december around that and I've been running away from him since okay I've been running away I've been avoiding whenever he talks about it but recently I made him convert to this altcoin so both knows uh, chip talks about it a lot Paris Sash is uh, it's a non financial advice guys the suka coin is performing really well and I actually am, right now I'm glad you know because he recovered a lot you know even in the bear market and he's happy with me i just hope that coin doesn't goes to zero because then okay tata bye bye i'll be a, a remember me you know <laughs> remember me you know who kapil was he was a guy just to crack some jokes share some laughs because then i'll be a dead man for sure <laughs> but i don't know where eth is going man. i don't i don't have eth So I don't care about it. My wallet is empty in terms of it, so I don't care about it. So, but good luck to you guys. Let's see. It all may be about. Kafil, I talk about it every week in trading spaces. Why don't you come and listen? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, get the insights. Thursday, I always get a notification because I I always see it. I send a reminder sometimes, but always Thursday afternoon, I'm always out. you know so but whenever i'm going to be there uh, i'll soon cuz i'm really interested in this I'm, i was learning intraday trading which is the easiest recipe to fuck up your mind if you want to just live a life of uh, just live a pathetic life <laughs> where you're biting your nails all the time but i'm really cuz i've i've studied finance and economics so uh, i'll definitely join the spaces on thursday just just uh, if you can just whenever you're in the spaces just send me uh, a dm invite so that i know i don't miss it next time that would be so sure. nice of you uh, okay. thank you so much will do will do Yes, and we'll see what what uh, Ethan's up being at for sure. Words we just may have to be a little bit more patient. <laughs> yes, so yeah. go ahead. For Kafil, I just pinned up a post on top. Just watch that. Well, and yeah, with that patience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Who who took my video? I, I need I need royalties for this. <laughs> But glad, man. I don't non-financial advice. I don't advise anything. Don't eat. <laughs> I'm just a guy with no eat. Do you trust a guy with no eat? No, right? So just do whatever you want to do. Well, arguably, having no ETH is the right position to be in. (laughs) 
It could be that great time to get in, huh? It's always a great time to get in. <laughs> oh, but anyways. <laughs> Um, with that, I think we may go ahead and start wrapping up um, today's space. Um, it is always great. And um, so Bo did confirm that next Sunday, our, t- our special guest is um, scheduled to be Fellowship Trust. So definitely looking forward to having their team join us and be able to talk more about um, what, that, what their community is doing to help onboard um, photographers, both from the traditional art world and also the NFT space and provide support and connect um, artists with collectors. Um, they've been creating quite a bit of um, quite a bit of a stir. So it'll be exciting to talk with their team and learn more about that. And also, if anyone has any questions um, for the fellowship team in advance, um, you're always welcome to um, send me a DM and I'll make note of that for sure um, and include that in our, our discussion for next week. But that's how we will open our space next Sunday um, is by welcoming the fellowship team and having probably about an hour to be able to visit with their team and then um, we'll go ahead and and open up for other topics as well and of course we'll have them with us as long as they would like Um, and thank you Sabode for pinning their pin tweet to the top it's a great um, introduction to their community but I'm looking forward to that conversation for sure yeah we will be having their lead curator and community manager two of them uh, sharing their insights i've been very impressed you know I, uh, they, their their in, their entry has been fantastic and i'm looking forward to hearing a lot of answers to the questions that we have you know so many questions actually so even basil will be with us uh, he'll prepare a bunch of questions because even he's equally uh, you know impressed by their presence so let's see how it goes and Emma, yes. you're a collector, so definitely you'll have a lot of questions as well. Even Alpha is a collector. Yes, um, made it possible to be able to collect pieces from Bourdine and Crutzen, um for myself. And I know Alpha's collected from the same artist. And also um, Peter Hugo um, was one that was highlighted this week, which his work um, with the hyenas is just absolutely incredible. But also in their Discord, they have an opportunity, so much education um, for different photographers and even um, dedicated channels for each um, of the major photographers that they are representing right now and the opportunity to be able to visit with them and ask questions and and learn more about you know more in depth in their work um so it is a great chance to be able to kind of deepen your um photography knowledge um and be able to kind of to learn more about kind of the traditional art world and also some photographers that are notable um you know prior to nfts so um definitely looking forward to delving in with the team they have a very very welcoming um community so um you know if discord is your thing it's a great community to be a part of um but also looking forward to the chance to have the conversation and they are also doing some great twitter spaces i know yesterday i shared their space um through the meta jungle channel that was talking a lot about um and you know bringing up some questions posing some questions about collecting photography and they do have a strong focus on connecting collectors um with the photography space and helping to introduce them so Really, really great community supporting um, a lot of the efforts that are happening here. Yeah, it would be really cool, you know, if everyone right now listening, if you could bring some, if you, if you could run through their page and bring some questions that you have, it would be wonderful discussion rather than just 
two or three of us asking something it would be nice to have everyone ask your own set of questions yes absolutely absolutely and i know just making that effort of connecting some communities that you know we're all kind of working in the same direction um to help bring awareness and and um education to about photography which is really really cool so um definitely looking forward to that so we'll have a fun week ahead um definitely join us for our chat and share space tomorrow here on twitter spaces we'll have our artist feedback ama session on thursday in discord with mike and maybe Sabode, we will see. Um, and then on Friday, we will be back here at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time to discuss, continue our storytelling discussion with um, Navigating NFTs. And then again on Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time to visit with Fellowship Trust and other good topics of the week. So definitely appreciate everybody being here. Sabode, I'm glad you're back. And definitely great to have you with us too, Mike, today. Um, I know everybody does have a lot happening this week. So um, if Sabode or Mike have anything they'd like to contribute as we go ahead and wrap up, you're welcome to. Yeah, I just need Goon to solve my Discord issue. I'm not able to attend Discord because of those reasons. So if you can figure out a way to sort out my Discord issue, I would love to be part of AMS. I love to listen and I love, love to participate as well. Well, I have a message out to him already. So yes, we would love to have you um, more involved in that aspect as well. So we'll work on solving that, um, that challenge this week. And we might have lost Mike. He might be out shooting again already or dancing. <laughs> But I did want to also say thank you to our speakers that contributed today. It was definitely a good conversation about, um, you know, thinking about physical displays for NFTs and um, different different opportunities in that regard. And we'll be sharing more information about the upcoming Super Chief space in Venice that MetaJungle is um, putting together um, and being able to share more um, about the dates and details and images. So um, definitely appreciate everybody that contributed on that conversation today. And it's been a great space. <laughs> and I think with that, I'll go ahead and let everybody know. We'll look forward to seeing you guys soon. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon or evening. And I hope you have a wonderful week. So thank you guys again. And we'll talk soon. <laughs>